Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM. Yeah, those numbers last night, not the best. Bit of a disappointment after having a zero day Monday. But we did say on Monday that those old numbers that come out on Sunday could be a tad unreliable. Didn't think they'd be as unreliable as that with 41 cases announced yesterday, which means they were 41 cases confirmed Tuesday and announced Wednesday. Here's hoping it's just a blip and we'll get Cork back under control very, very soon. We're still at the bottom of the table in terms of community transmission, so we need to hold firm on that. We'll be all right. I don't intend to go into a whole lot of detail on numbers this morning. Friday, Tuesdays and Fridays are our numbers day, so we'll look at them in a bit more detail this morning. But I do see from the front page of the paper that Michal Martin is insisting, and other Neffet, I think, are insisting that the numbers have to be much, much lower before we can start to release ourselves from lockdown in any significant way. Uh, 200 cases a day nationally. There are those who would say you should go lower than that. Go to 100, go to 50, go as low as you can. We'll delve into it a bit more uh, on Numbers Day, which is Tuesday and Friday. But hang in there. Don't be getting disheartened. Don't be getting worried. It's not going to go out of control in Cork again. We, at least we can hope that it's not going to get out of control in Cork. Just keep an eye to it for the few days. 1850-715-996, the number to call, the text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. Do you remember a few weeks ago here on the programme, I just hear it in the 9 o'clock news there, we chatted with uh, Mick Ryan. Uh, He was the man behind the Teddy Bears initiative and he was telling us how it started and he was telling us how it was spreading from a small idea to various parts of the country and I think at the time he he was anxious to get traction in Cork he didn't have a whole lot of traction in Cork but he was looking to get some traction in Cork let's remind ourselves, this is Mick Ryan on the opinion line on the 23rd of February I think there's one or two ladies doing them in Cork but the whole idea is once one person sends away from 
for all the posters. I send out the, all the posters. They go find a, a good teddy bear and they go and buy a good solar light. I mean, a good solar light we need because the the, the longer the light, the long lasts on them, the, the longer we can save a life. Yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's, it's the whole, and in a way, when you look at it, with Pieta House, the, yeah. the whole ethos is darkness into light. The big yeah, fundraiser in May, so a little bit of light on a dark night and shining on your message. Yes, definitely, and that's that's the whole thing. Because if you're in anyone that suffers with depression, you would know what I'm talking about. They go into a dark hole, they pull the curtains, they don't get up, and all this. So if they're out and they're walking and they're in trouble, anyone, anyone, <laughs> and they see that light, that light is pulling them, pulling them away. They probably think it's a light to give them the sign from heaven or a family so hopefully if they get to the teddy bear as I say he takes out his phone then he texts his help yeah needed a sign into the light and someone reaching out from the light and I think at that stage Mick was I think he was appealing for to get more of those teddy bears and more of those lights to Cork and who better to respond and the angel of heaven herself, Katrina Toomey. Angel. Katrina, good morning to you. Morning, Peter. Good morning. This is such a gorgeous idea, and you've you've clamped onto yeah. it. Yes, we have, because it's a simple idea, but it's a, it can be a very effective one. And what we're hoping is that uh, that distraction for just one minute, one second, 30 seconds, whatever, will help a person to change, you know, the, how they're feeling, and maybe have that thought and maybe dial the numbers, you know, or text the 24-hour text mm. message and helpline. And, um, you know, that, that that could be the difference between saving somebody and not, you know. And it's what we're going to do on Sundays. We're, we're meeting up as teams, you know, for the social distancing, obviously. And um, we, we'll have the route, Cork City Mission Person Search and Recovery will be no better boys, I suppose, to, to, to plan the route for us. But our plan is to go from, you know, the top up there by the Lee Fields and all the way down to the marina. Mm. And we're going to do all the bridges. We're going to do the bridge down in Silver Springs, etc. You know, the overhead bridge over the yeah. motorway. Yeah. And we're, we're going to do the skate, skateboard park, you know, the trees up there and around the back. Mm-hmm. And we're going to just go everywhere where... Um, I suppose there are dark places for people, like, you know, mm. uh, you know, talking to the lads, like, from missing persons, like, they they know they're the ones that are in the water, they're the ones that are in the woods, they're the ones searching, and they would know a good route, um, and a helpful route, so that's what we're going to follow, and it's just a beautiful idea. Cheers. The teddy bear, you know, like, caring, like, that comes with the, the teddy bear, and then the solar light, and we have the message then from Pieta House, your family loves you. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes people would say, sure, maybe they don't have a family. You know, that's kind of, I know, but, like, whoever you attach yourself to or whoever you're with throughout your life, they can become your family as well. Absolutely. So there's always somebody. And even at that, we're there. Like, Pieta House is there all the time, and they do an amazing service. Like, what they do for people can never be told, like, because people that are in the, the horrors you know, access that service and they look after them so, so, so well and they look after the families. What they do is just incredible. The Samaritans are there. They're the same. They're just, 
incredible people and you have like you know all different groups that um roll out counseling services so it's not that it's a new thing no. it's, it's something but i guess when you're in that dark place thing. katrina you yeah. can't see it no. because it's no. dark and and yeah. you look all you can see is darkness it might be in the middle of yeah. the afternoon but all you can see yeah. is is darkness about how many bears will you be putting out there well we're hoping to do 100 plus on sunday and then we're going to, you know, it'll be Mallow, Mitchellstone, Fermoy, Middleton, you name it, any place, and you know, that's in the, you know, out Ballancolic way, all over the place. Then after that, um, we're going to just try and really blitzcock with it because we think it's it's something that could save somebody, mm-hmm. and we really want to do that. And like I know, people will ring us and tell us, you know, maybe you can put one here, you know. So we'd be open to those ideas as well of what people would have to say on that, mm-hmm. and. Um, Again, I suppose we have, people will give us the bears, but the solar lights would be something that we would be asking for. Mm. And, 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 you know, we would ask people, like, well, if you want to do it in memory of a loved one, by all means. This is around the time it. of the year, Katrina, when the, the garden centres are starting to get in the solar lights. Yeah. yeah. For the summertime. And, uh, you know, we're not talking about big expensive solar no. lights, we're only talking about five or six euros. Yeah. You'll pick, like you pick a solar light up in the next few weeks now when spring lands upon us properly. You'll pick up a solar light, a very, very good one, for six or seven quid. Yeah, and we want one that'll work. We don't want, you know, a euro or two euro one. We want one that will actually work and do its job because yeah. it's there to shine that light, to be that guiding light for to help people that are in the dark place. Yeah. And again, like, at night, you know, can you imagine even just walking and you see all these bears lit up and and even like for somebody that would, would only be contemplating something when they see this, it might help them to, to reach out. Yeah. You well, know, we would always ask people to, to reach out. There are lots of services, there are lots of people that will help. But even if you reach out within your own kind of family, your own friend circle, they will do it like they will they will help you. Sometimes, and I've spoken to people over the years, people who were headed for that dark place and they felt they had no option and they felt that the only path was the one that nobody wants them to take. And in the blink of an eye, they recognised that somebody actually did care. Yeah. yeah, and Could be a complete and total stranger, but they did care. Yeah, and people do care. So there's nobody will turn anybody away that's in that dark place. People will listen to them. They will get them help, even if they don't know what to do for them. They will reach out and get that help someplace else for them. So it's always worthwhile to reach out. And again, people, you know, need to know that that you are loved. This, you know, I said it in the the post. Everybody loves somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes like we do, like you know, and people care for people and. And we see that all the time in Penny Dinners. Like we have people that come, came up to the door that were in a very dark place and we know then that we have to step outside the box and talk to them and see how they're actually feeling and what we do in that situation for them, to help them. And um, But sometimes there's stuff that we, we just don't see and it happens and you're there thinking like, oh my God, I, I would have helped, you know. And I know lots of people are saying the same thing that I'm saying. I would have helped, but a person may not know how to reach out when their mind is boggled like from that much pain. Katrina, I've got someone coming in here straight away on my screen. Uh, They'll make contact with you. They're connected to a business called Tiny Tots. 
in Middleton okay. and okay. they're going to donate 100 euros for buying the bears oh wow you know that's that's just you know people you know PJ we, we kind of if we ask for something a penny dinners we, we always get it though one never leaves us down because it shows the kind of people I suppose we all are you know that everybody cares in yeah. their own way everybody cares yeah yeah, it's it's very know, tough at the moment. Have, on another on another level, Katrina, you, I, I heard a news report this morning that you're seeing more and more people just hungry, just simply hungry, starving. You know, they've paid their bills such as they are, yeah. and they've no money left for a loaf of bread. Exactly, and we've loads of young people coming down to us. Oh, holy mother God, that's just awful to see they're coming down for their, their food, you know. One time we had two young fellas there to Lankakunda wanted to print an order they were looking for burgers. <laughs> it's so funny. They didn't know what we were, but they knew that they could get food and they were hungry <laughs> and the children were laughing as we were standing there. We were saying, oh, jeez, wouldn't we love to be able to do what you... Do you know? So we explained to them what we did, like, and should they ravish the dinners, like, you know what I mean? And they were delighted, like, and they're still coming, which was so funny. <laughs> But they were putting in their order. Like they were looking for. One was yeah. looking for chips, cheese, and curry, and like yeah. we just stood there and wanted them to step in there quick. Isn't it? Isn't it so sad, Katrina? It's so that, sad. That, 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 that they're so young, yeah. and when you're looking at some of them, like you, you'd, they're so you know, young they don't even understand what you do. No, they don't. And sometimes when you look at them, they only look 15, 16. They might be 19, they might be 18, but they look so, so young that it's frightening. And like we have a lot of kind of elderly people that just stroll down and they'll ask you then for things that they may need, like tea bags and mm. a bit of sugar out of a drop of milk or something like that. Yeah. And um, so th- th- there's lots. And like what we do, like today now we'll have, we have about 200 hampers going out plus today. Ah, yeah. alone. You're a legend. You know? Come here, come here, there's another another phone call. A uh, lady has teddy bears that are so new they even have tags on them. How can she get them to you? Um, just a little Hanover Street, or if she wants to ring, um, 085-120-1742, we'll organise some sort of a pick-up, you know, so right. we know some people haven't transport and lugging bags. Give me that number again, Katrina. Oh eight five one two zero one seven four two. Seven four two. Is that a kind of an outreach number? It's it's the number that can be used for penny dinners. Yeah. Very good. Okay. All right. Listen, you're a legend as always, and I think you'll have far more than you can actually get out there by the time you're finished. Yeah. I think so. But well, you know, there's the whole of Ireland. You know, there's <laughs> people all over. <laughs> Never short of ambition. That's our Katrina. No. But, you know, and there's a, there's a young girl, Molly Muldoon, up in Kildare, yeah. and she's taking care of Kildare. She's very young, her and her boyfriend, with the name of William Wallace, as you could imagine, Mike. So um, they, they, they're putting them up for McGrain all over Fantastic. Kildare, and there's that kind right. of sort. So it's spreading. All right, listen, it's a fabulous idea. I remember being very blown away by Mick and his honesty and his the simple idea at the time. But Isn't it's, a, it's a, a beautiful man. Like lovely, guy. lovely guy, yeah. lovely guy, lovely yeah. guy. All right, listen, yeah. thank you so much, Katrina. And keep up that wonderful work that you do with Cork Penny Dinners. We have people ringing us up saying they have bears, they'll buy some bears. It would be lovely to get a few solar lights. Because it's, it's at the time of year now with the garden centres, some of them being open and garden sections in some of the supermarkets not looking at anybody. And they have the the lights coming in. And some of them are really good. And you get a, a really good light for a few quid. Maybe 
some kind garden centre would maybe donate a few lights to the cause might be nice, do you know? 1850-715-996 Now later on this morning, after 11 I mentioned this yesterday a couple of times a nice little reaction overnight The last time we discussed dreams on the opinion line, we had maybe 20 minutes and we could have done an hour So we were going to come back to it and Michael Sheridan, who's been on with us before uh, one of the best dream analysts we've ever had He's going to join us just after 11. And if you have any strange dreams, dreams that are bugging you, dreams that are worrying you, dreams that you can't understand, um, let us know what they are and he'll go through as many as he can uh, between about 11 and about a quarter to 12 today. So we can hold him there for a little while. So any dream that's on your mind, doesn't matter how daft it sounds, uh, at this stage, you can still email us, opinion at 96pm.ie, or you can text to WhatsApp 083 396 The dreams on your mind after 11. Plenty more to do, though, between now and then. That number, if you'd like to help out the penny dinners in any way with regard to, I guess, anything at all, but in particular, this teddy bear and solar light appeal, 085 085- one two oh one seven four two oh eight five one two oh one seven four two the opinion line on Corks 96 FM with Lehan Motors leading the way for Toyota hybrids the place to order your 211 Toyota see lehanmotors.ie Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96 FM. Hi, it's Elmery. Join me on Sunday morning when we take a look at what's happening in the arts in Cork and help you plan some great nights out at the theatre or see the latest films on release, catch a brilliant music gig or find the perfect book to get stuck into. The Arts House. Sunday mornings, 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. Griffin's new chipping potatoes are specially grown to make the perfect homemade chip. Fluffy inside and crunchy outside. Now in store. Corks 96 FM. This is Corks Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 96 On Corks 96 FM. I know we haven't done one this year and I guess under the current circumstances you couldn't do it properly in any shape or form because of the huge event that it is. But whoever takes over the chain of the office of Lord Mayor in June when Joe Kavanagh has finished his year, because I'm assuming Joe won't be doing it, can someone please just get the finger out at some stage soon and just give Katrina Toomey the freedom of the city? Would Please? Because... Is there anyone deserves it more? 1850-715-996. Interesting stuff in the Examiner this morning. Front page, Noel Baker says almost a fifth of 13-year-old girls believe that they have symptoms of depression. That's scary. We all say as parents that they grow up too fast these days, but at 13, to be feeling symptoms of depression. And I'm also reading in the journal... .ie that there are some kids with consistent difficulties, small number, consistent difficulties from the age of nine. And this is worrying. It's the latest in the Growing Up in Ireland study. And the author of the report is Dr. Elizabeth Nixon.
from Trinity College. Elizabeth, good morning to you. Hi, good morning. We've been saying for years, those of us who are parents, that they grow up too fast. But this is a stark reminder of just how fast they are growing up and just how fast they're starting to experience problems that they should never be experiencing as kids. Well, I think it's that these problems have probably, you know, been there a lot longer than we've realised. And it's really about, um, you know, we've created the space for, uh, for you know, talking about mental health and for studying mental health in, in young people and acknowledging, I suppose, that symptoms, particularly of things like depression, do tend to have their onset during adolescence. And, you know, with this study, we specifically looked at 13-year-olds so here they're on the cusp of adolescence, you know, they're going through puberty, they're starting secondary school, you know, making new friends, new ch- new academic challenges, new subjects in school and so on. And there's a lot going on for them. And um, I, I suppose, you know, while, while we expect, you know, there to be normal sort of ups and downs, what our research tells us, you know, when we administer, you know, very well standardised and, you know, well-studied measures screening tools like we've used in this study, that about 16% of our uh, of our 13-year-olds sort of scored above a particular cutoff, which might indicate that they may be at risk of, you know, depression. It's not a diagnosis of depression, per mm. se. It's just more a kind of a red flag, I suppose. How is it analysed, Elizabeth? Is it, is it a, a questionnaire or a study or what that you put there? Yeah, yeah. So, so we... For this report, we've drawn upon data uh, provided by the young person themselves, because, of course, when you want to look at things like mood and so on, it's very important to get the, you know, the self-report of the individual, because sometimes, you know, other people like parents or teachers or siblings may not know actually what the young person is experiencing. So depression, as measured in this study, is based on, uh, as I said, the scale that has been widely used and the young person's responses to a number of items which really tap into, you know, the, the sort of the symptoms, I suppose, of, of depressive disorder. And, you know, as I said, 16% of the young people scored above this particular cutoff point because, you know, we expect, you know, on an everyday basis that people will experience, you know, signs of, mm. you know, feeling depressed. But it's more when, you know, combinations of, of symptoms occur together that the risk is greater. And, and what's influencing it? Okay, so yeah, we looked also at, you know, a host of factors within the young person's life, ranging from, you know, relationships with their parents, the conflict that exists in that relationship, the levels of closeness, um, relationships with friends, experiences of bullying and so on. And really what we found was at this age, relationships with friends become a really important driver of children's outcomes. And in particular, the quality of these friendships. So it's not about being part of a really big group of friends. In fact, for some uh, outcomes like engaging in risk-taking behaviour or antisocial behaviour, being part of a large group of friends is not actually a good thing because, uh, you know, you're more likely to do these things within these larger groups. So having a lot of friends is not necessarily a protective mechanism, but having good quality friendships is protective and does protect young people against... Higher levels of depressed mood. And there's a thing, you know, how we make friends has changed. Like how, how, how youngsters make friends. Because when I was a kid, you, you made friends with the few people you met when you were in school, when you were out and about. Today, they've got a hundred friends on their smartphone. But do they have any actual real friends? Is that 
Is the way we make friends now, is that changing your findings? I mean, I, I don't really think so, to be honest, because I think one thing this pandemic has taught us and, you know, as we listen to young people's concerns and the struggles that they've had in the last year is the lack of face-to-face contact with their peers and not being able to go to school and not being able to do their extracurricular activities and so on. And they're really missing out on that face-to-face interaction. So I think I think everybody is realizing that you know friends on you know on in the online world and the number of likes you get on your Instagram or whatever, you know, doesn't um, isn't the same as you know friends where you go and hang out with with each other and do things together. So I mean, yeah, I think social media has maybe um, you know changed some aspects of relationships, but I think in terms of what matters you know, within relationships, then I think that face-to-face contact is, you know, still really important. Yeah. In terms of puberty, is, is, is there a tie-in between the onset of puberty or indeed the, the height of puberty, for want of a better expression, and when the youngsters start to experience these symptoms or these feelings? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's a lot of research that basically suggests that, um, you know, children who enter puberty early are at a a disadvantage in terms of their development. And our research doesn't really support um, this idea because what it it shows is that, you know, early or late puberty can be associated with, you know, better or worse outcomes. But really what matters is is how early or late puberty affects the relationships that people have. So it's not, you know, early puberty per se that seems to be important. What seems to happen is, particularly for girls who enter puberty earlier, is that they tend to start hanging around with older peers. And this is what tends to lead them more into trouble rather than the fact that they've hit puberty, you know, early relative to their same age uh, peers or or people in their class or whatever. So it's, it's not the biological fact of entering puberty early. It's more all the things that might sort of go along with that. Yeah, but the, it's the behaviours associated exactly. yeah, and the attitudes yeah, yeah. associated with, with yeah, entering exactly. puberty and early. I, mean, I think that's, that's important because obviously there's nothing we can do about a child who enters puberty early or later. This is no. a sort of natural biological... It's um, completely random thing. from child to child when you look at it. You know, and but what it does point to is that if we can identify children who are entering puberty early, then, you know, we know the things that we need to look out for that tend to accompany that that tend to elevate their risk for poorer outcomes. Yeah, I was thinking of that as well. Like, there's a message here for parents, you know, to, to keep keep an eye on, on your children as they enter puberty. Be aware of the fact that it, it doesn't just affect their body, it doesn't just affect their hormones, it can affect who they associate with and this is the decisions they will make based on those associations. Exactly, yeah. And there's lots of new research now that is telling us about the brain development of adolescents and how they're, you know, notoriously poor decision makers and they tend to be kind of impulsive. And there is some uh, support for that. And I suppose the other thing that is important for, for parents, I guess, is that, you know, their, their children, they will experience a distance, I suppose, uh, from their children. And this is often something that parents become very anxious about. You know, where is my, you know, cuddly child gone? I suppose, who, you know, the child who used to love, you know, giving me hooks and kisses or whatever, and now they won't be seen. <laughs> who who you know, is but, this monster that pounds yeah. down the stairs demanding food? Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And I, I suppose the thing is that this is actually normal part of yes. adolescence. And this kind of separation tends to occur 
from the family, you know, on the surface, it looks like separation, I suppose, because they mm. want to be out with their friends. And, and this is all completely uh, sort of normal. And really yeah. what tends to happen is later in adolescence, they'll sort of come back into the fold, as it were. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, well, I can tell you, as a, as a parent of, of, well, they're now in their early 20s, uh, I had those monsters in my house. <laughs> and, and after a while, they left and my children came back. Do you know what I mean? Sure. It does happen. It's completely normal. Someone yeah. on the phone no, I here. Don't think, I don't think we should call them monsters either. <laughs> <laughs> I was being, I was tongue in cheek. Do you know what I mean? Um, caller says that really admires your work and and that would like me to to pass on congratulations to you for your findings, but is suggesting that perhaps depression in youngsters isn't new at all, but that in the past we just saw a moody child and told them get on with life and get over yourself. I mean, I think there's there's definitely an element of that. And I suppose it's it's about striking a balance between, you know, it, it's not normal for us to go around happy all of the time and everybody is going to experience adversity in life. And just because, you you know, you go through a stage of life where, you, you know, you're feeling a little bit down or it's hard to get out of bed in the morning, that may not actually be depression either. You know, that might be just a normal part of sort of mood variation that occurs. So it's trying to get the balance between recognizing what's what's kind of within the 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 realms of of normality versus you know where symptoms become a little bit more entrenched and it begins to interfere with kind of daily functioning and i think sometimes you know it's about giving children and young people the skills i suppose the coping tools to manage the everyday ups and ups and downs of life and that everything doesn't have to be perfect for them all of the time and they don't have to be happy all of the time that's not your job as a parent, yeah. you know, I suppose it's about, you know, equipping the equipping the young person to talk about how it is they're feeling and, and to help them. And I, I think sometimes, you know, young people are often accused of being snowflakes and, and they, you know, this and that, which I feel sometimes is a little bit unfair because, you know, we're, we're also telling them, you know, you have to talk about your feelings uh. and talk about the things that, that sort of bother you. So I think it's a balance between acknowledging that sometimes, you know, things aren't right and that's normal part of life as well and here are the things you can do to sort of help yourself versus you know sometimes problems can become more yeah. serious and this is where we need to pay attention and get and get appropriate support i guess for the parents and again having having been there the 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 years if you like the very tender years at which all these problems can manifest themselves are the very years where you as mom or dad are the last person in the world that they want to share it with. It's a difficult yeah. time. Yeah, it is because you you know you feel that they're you know you're losing them or they're slipping away from you or something like that. But I think you know underneath it all there is that, that you know the, the the findings from this study do also point to the significance of relationships with parents and in particular when there's high levels of conflict with mums and with dads um, and low levels of closeness kind of as perceived um, by the young person and by the parents, then this can also be damaging, you know, for young people's, um, mm. you know, mental health. So I think it is about sort of trying to maintain good quality relationships, even in spite of those changes that yeah. are really part of, you know, normal yeah. de- it is development. Breathe. It's, it's, it's normal. Is there a gender split here, uh, finally? Yeah, so there there are some interesting differences between boys and girls. So we see the emergence of um, you know uh, these higher levels of depressive symptoms among girls 
versus boys. So we had 18% of girls reaching this sort of cutoff point versus only 13% of boys. And again, this is very well substantiated in the literature that depression does tend to occur more commonly among girls than um, among boys. And then on the other side, you have things like antisocial behaviour. It was quite rare within the sample. We are only talking about 13-year-olds, of course. About 7% of them had been in trouble with the police at the tender age of 13. Um, but this was more common among boys than among um, than among girls. So there are some differences. But interestingly, when it came to things like smoking, drinking, uh, you know, experimenting with drugs and so on, the gender differences weren't as uh, weren't as clear there. Okay. okay, interesting food for thought from it. Thank you very much uh, for that. That's um, Dr. Dr. Elizabeth Nixon who's the author of this uh, new report um, and she's an assistant professor of psychology at Trinity College in Dublin. This is the Growing Up in Ireland report. It really is a long study over many, many years and they analyse groups aged 9, 13, 17, 20 and it's fascinating, fascinating. I, 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 I know the way she picked me up there on uh, my use of the word monsters. Um, I think those of us who are or recently were the parents of teenagers, <laughs> I think I think we would probably say, you know what, Mrs., you come and live with them with all due respect. <laughs> but definitely, definitely. That's a difficult few years. But anyone who is going through those few years at the moment with their teenage sons or daughters and that it's slamming of doors and shouting and stamping of feet and that kind of thing. It does end. It does end and your your kids do come back to you. Um, my daughter's now one of my best pals. My son is, well, he's him, you know. He's gas. But yeah, they do come back to you. 1850 the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Listen and win all day Friday on Cork's 96FM with Douglas Court Shopping Centre. To celebrate the amazing mums in our lives, we've got €100 Euro Douglas Court shopping vouchers to give away across the day. Make your Mother's Day with a special treat from us. Listen to win a €100 Euro Douglas Court shopping voucher this Friday across the day only on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. We're buying more and more stuff online. There's a hardly a day goes by now in Coogan Towers that there isn't a package of some shape or form arrives for one of us. It's just, just how we are in, in 2021. You can argue the whys and wherefores of it. The cows come home, milk themselves and go back to the field. But we are shopping online more and more. And we're coming up against little incidents where the computer says no. Gemma. Good morning. What happened to you? Um, well, I went to order trainers for my kids, which was, uh, you know, thought quite a simple task. Um, so I went to Sports Direct and um, basically trawled through the website and found the shoes that my kids wanted. And 
um, clicked order and made the payment and I said, grand job, put the phone away, happy days. Yeah. Um, I was told uh, when I ordered them, it would be about 3.15 working days and again, you know, fairly normal in the circumstances we're in. Um, obviously, with everybody ordering more stuff online, it's going to take that bit more time for stuff to be delivered. Yes. So about um, two days later, I received an email to say that um, the trainers that I had picked out for my son uh, were not in stock. And in my mind, it wasn't a problem because um, when I checked on the order, the order hadn't been processed, so it hadn't left the warehouse. So in my mind, it was just a simple task of going back onto the website and mm. amend your order and pick a different pair of trainers. Yeah, because you can go back into your checkout and you can change it and do all these things. That's what I assumed. <laughs> but, right. um no, <laughs> oh. that was not, that was not the case. Um, basically, once you have placed an order, the only thing you can do is cancel it. You can't amend it. So um, that left me with a bit of bother because obviously I still need the trainers for my son. Um, and obviously the ones he had picked out, he was disappointed because he couldn't get them. Yeah. And trying to explain to a six-year-old, they're not there. I can't get them. <laughs> it's problem enough. Mm-hmm. Um so we picked out another pair of trainers and I had to order them and um, I got hit with a second delivery charge. So I um, looked for a contact number for Sports Direct, but there is no actual contact number. You can only contact customer service via email. Yeah. Um, so I emailed them and asked them to waive the second delivery charge due to the fact that the first order hadn't been processed and hadn't left the yeah. warehouse. And I was just... Um, and of course the beauty of online is you can demonstrate to them the whole track of where you've been with this so you can make your case to them and say listen you know I you can surely waive the delivery charge for the second pair of trainers yeah and I was told um, I was contacted by customer service um, that evening uh, to be told no the only thing you can do is cancel your order we can't waive the second delivery fee but here's a 10% discount and sorry for any inconvenience caused um, so you could cancel the first order entirely and then reorder using the original first pair and this new second pair. They didn't actually suggest that. And to be honest, it didn't occur to me at the time because obviously I was just so frustrated over yeah. the fact that I was being hit with the second delivery charge. It didn't occur to me to cancel the first order and just make a complete reorder. Yeah. Um, it, it didn't actually occur to me and their customer service didn't suggest that. They didn't that suggest either. that. You wish they should have done. No. Nope, That's not something just... you'd think. The only reason that I am brought that up is it actually happened to me. Yeah. <laughs> a long yeah, time yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, but yeah. I mean, I just I just felt like that basically their customer service, their, obviously their go-to line when somebody comes in is, um, here's a gesture of goodwill, here's a 10% off uh, for your next order. And yeah. um, to be honest with you, I, most people, I suppose, you know, um, will just accept that. Yeah, you know, yeah, but I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. I just think it's it's extremely unfair given the circumstances we're in. Now, we're not talking about a lot of money here. No, we're not. No, we're not. It, it, it looks to be honest with you. It's it's not even it's not even the money. It's just the principle of the thing and the fact yeah. that you're and and also as well the fact that their system when you order something doesn't show you that it's not in stock. Ah, now there's a problem. You know, um, I mean, I clicked order and paid for it and the whole lot, and in my mind it was job done. Move yes. On to the next, yes. Move on. To, move on to the next thing. Uh, but they're, that's they're actually system. all the more reason why they should waive the fee. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, the the website doesn't say not in stock. Yeah, yeah. Um, their their website um, only updates. I don't. I'm not too sure how often it updates, but obviously, um, it, it it's not um, it, it's not immediate that when right. you can it, it doesn't tell you that it's not in stock. 
which is a big difference if you buy trainers on and just pick any other site, Amazon, you go to yeah. buy trainers and it will tell you not in stock. Exactly, exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah. Right. Yep. So, um, and the... Ah, I, see your, I see your principle here now, you know. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's the, and we say the, the the original order, we say, uh, look, for the most part, most people will be only ordering one item at a time, so it's not a big deal because obviously if the item's not in stock, it's cancelled and yeah. there's no charge for the item you're buying and there's no charge for the delivery charge. But because there was more more than one item on the order, yeah. um, I'm still being charged a delivery charge no. for the first pair and I'm being charged a delivery charge for the second pair and there's no reason why they couldn't have um, except, for com- except for computer says no which is about yeah. the only well, but yeah, yeah. apart from <laughs> dealing with them and, and uh, how are you dealing with the other two with the two customers the small ones Oh, the small ones, yeah, one's back in school. Uh, he's um, he's almost his second week booked down and the uh, second one, hopefully, Monday, fingers crossed, is yeah. going to be back in school on Monday. But, so, but yeah. are they waiting on their trainers? Are they anxious? Are they asking questions? Oh, yeah, they're asking questions. They're asking questions, yeah. It's like, when are they going to be here? When are they going to be here? When are they going to be here? And the, the ironic part of the whole lot is the second pair of trainers that I ordered for my son are going to be here before the first pair of trainers oh. I ordered for my daughter. Yeah, because they didn't process um, they didn't process the order for my daughter because of the delay of the the first ones not being in stock for my son. Oh, so, so you'll have another bit of explaining to do. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's not fun. <laughs> oh, it's not. Poor woman. God, I don't envy you. I don't envy you. Why didn't mine? Why did his come? Why didn't mine? Oh, geez, yeah, that's know. just about how it's going here. No worries. <laughs> God, you poor woman. Yeah, I know. No, it's a, it's a, it's it's a look. It's a tiny amount of money, but you think. In all in the world, and I, I particularly that would bug me now. That would get yeah. under my fingernails. The fact that when you booked, when you went to the site, it didn't say not in stock. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it left you uh, order it. For for me, look, I mean, look. At the end of the day, you know, the the, the delivery charge is the delivery charge, and as we said, it's not it's not a big it's not a big amount. But I mean, it's it's just the it's whole. Better off in your pocket than theirs, though. You know, it's just the whole principle of the thing and the, the annoyance of yeah, having yeah. to do everything more than once yeah. as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, there is that. Well, I'll be honest with you now. I'm my, I don't mind myself and the kids are fairly decent at buying online. My wife absolutely hates it for this exact reason you're talking about. Having yeah. to do things twice and having to go back in and fill in stuff that you filled in before. She'd be baiting her head off the table with, with yeah. frustration. She wants to go back to a shop and buy. Gemma, listen, I hope they come soon. And I hope all the smileys will be happy when they do come and that they'll be the right ones. And God knows, help us the right size. Don't even go there. Thanks, Gemma. We know from what the T-shirt has been saying in the doll, I'll let you hear it later, that there will be an easing of restrictions, some easing of restrictions on the 5th of April or after the 5th of April, which of course is Easter Monday. What we'll get to do is up in the air. There won't be much involved, but one thing that there's a bit of pressure on the government to do is let people go and visit their loved ones in nursing homes because if we're to believe what we're hearing, they've all been vaccinated and they're all safe. So the simple logic would be let people go back and visit their loved ones in the nursing homes. Tyg Daly from Nursing Homes Ireland. It does seem like fairly simple logic, doesn't it, Tyg? Good morning. Uh, good morning, PJ, and thanks for the opportunity. Yes, absolutely. Look, fantastic news that you just said around the vaccination. Uh, you know, the impact of the vaccination has been uh, very, very welcome and, and very positive. And, and staff have, have worked tirelessly to support continued contact. But clearly, there's a, a, a yearning now for all of us 
to uh, get back to in-person visits. I would say cautiously because uh, we are concerned, I suppose, that even despite vaccination, uh, a person can still contract the virus and also transmit the virus. But we're hoping that, uh, you know, in the next number of, of, of weeks, uh, that there will be a, an easing of visitor restrictions. Uh, NEFET are, are actually considering a, a revised guidance document uh, later later today, I'm told, and we expect an announcement in the next number of days. Yeah, I know that in the UK they're moving quickly towards one designated visitor, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Things. I mean, I suppose they're ahead of us in the vaccination schedule there as well, uh, and in terms of the general opening of society in, in the UK. But yes, I mean, our colleagues in Scotland, for example, they've uh, developed a very useful document called Open with Care, and um, <clears throat> we're trying to mirror the guidance here in Ireland based on that. So uh, we would be expecting that um, that there will be significant movement in the next number of days. I mean, we'll still require people to be vigilant. We'll mm. still require, you know, fairly strict infection control measures, people wearing uh, surgical masks. Antigen testing maybe for visitors? Yeah, we're, we're hoping for that. I mean, there seems to be a, a reticence there uh, on government at the moment. Too, and we understand, look, antigen isn't the silver bullet at all. And there are some limitations with it. But our view is that we need to use every uh, element of, of uh, what we can do to, to, to as well, mitigate the risk ultimately. Yeah. So uh, we'd be confident, as I say, with all those measures, we can get back to, to safe uh, in-person in visiting. But, and it would be very much welcomed yeah. by, by, by residents, by families and, and by staff. Do you know where I think is particularly hard, Tig, is if you have a couple in their yes. 80s, we'll say, and, and she's in a nursing home and he is still in good health and he's living away himself at home you know it, and they've both had their vaccine it's cruel not to let them see each other yeah absolutely and that's why you know we've been i suppose uh, so excited by the rollout of the vaccination program and the efficacy of the vaccine is so it's so encouraging i mean we've seen a significant and i mean uh, significant is an understatement in terms of the number of lab detected cases it's gone off in, a cliff it's gone off, it's ab- brilliant absolutely yeah, yeah. and the, likewise serial testing is ongoing of staff that's down to 0.2 percent mm. so it, it is very very small but i suppose the you know on the flip side of that we do need to move with caution and uh, you know no more than the example you used there you know families will will be working closely with the nursing home to make mm-hmm. sure that everybody takes every possible precaution mm-hmm. but you're dead right you know for for people who haven't uh, you know seen in, in person their family member or loved one uh, for a number of months you know i can only imagine how how, dif- how difficult it is so La- lastly and very briefly Tig, this time last year this very day last mm-hmm. year we were entering uh, the first set of lockdowns did you ever think we'd still be talking about the year on no, absolutely. I mean, uh, from North North Ireland point of view, we, we announced visitor restrictions on the 6th of March last year. Uh, and at that stage, we were looking at, you know, a number of weeks potentially. Uh, so, you know, it has been hugely traumatic for everybody in society. But I think your listeners and all of us know that nursing homes have, have and older people generally have borne the brunt uh, of the pandemic, particularly in, term, in terms of the mortality. So there's a responsibility on, on us all now not to lose the run of ourselves either. Yes. Uh, while vaccination is, is critical and, 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 and very, very welcome, we do need to move cautiously. And we'll be hoping it, yeah. Extreme care, extreme absolutely. care. Absolutely, okay. absolutely. Good news for everybody, hopefully, in, in, the, next, in the next couple of days. Indeed. Okay. No doubt we will talk again. Ty Daly, thank you. Sorry to cut you off there. No reason other than time. I just looked at my clock. Ty Daly from Nursing Homes Ireland. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. I love when these messages come in. Don't get me started with Sports Direct. Never again. Will I order anything? I ordered a very important present for Christmas on the 2nd of December. 
They said the order number I was giving them didn't exist, even though that's the number they gave me. Oh, dear. It never came for Christmas. So when I said it was going further, they said they'd lost the order. They finally sent it out at the end of January. That's John in Canturk. Uh, Lisa, though, has a contrasting experience. I ordered four pairs of trainers and a fleece from my boys at 9 o'clock on a Thursday from Common Sports. They arrived that Saturday at 10 a.m. with a personally signed note from one of the Cummins family thanking me for supporting local. Could not recommend them more. In other words, stay away from big international sites and buy from our own. And we'd almost forgotten. And thank you, Lisa, for reminding us. Cummins Sports, an old Cork firm, an old Cork brand from back many, many years. They're doing an online uh, site at the moment. Have a look, look them up. Cummins Sports, you can buy online. There's no need to go to these other companies. That's great. Great recommendation for, for Cummins Sports. 1850-715-996, the number to call. The text to WhatsApp 83 Email opinion at 96fm.ie. If you missed anything in our first hour this morning, as always, we remind you to catch the podcast, which goes up in the afternoon. Starts on Twitter. You'll see the link there first. Then it goes to all the individual platforms and the Cork's 96FM app in the podcasts section. And it's free. A few comments on our Growing Up in Ireland feature the new survey and the fact that you know the new the new developments in this ongoing survey or study that kids as young as 13 are experiencing the symptoms of depression and and it's worrying and we need to you know be cognizant on it and it's slightly different in girls and boys and all that i lost my mom when i was 11 to breast cancer so never got that chat about puberty and all those things now i'm 40 i have my own daughter she's 12 and i'm blessed to be here for her. Yeah, and listening now, my child has had a tough few years. Last year was a lot worse. She used to harm herself. She ended up in hospital and refused to go to school. It's so stressful for me trying to be there for her and do my best for her. She's getting plenty of help with CAMS, but she's at the stage where she says she doesn't need help. What else can be done? It needs to be said that a lot of teenagers are struggling and parents struggling with it. Yes, yes, yes. You're right. There's enough. And this, I think our conversation was to do with sort of your standard common or garden teenager who goes through life without too many bumps in the road. But there's a serious problem there. And I sincerely hope that it's okay. 1850-715-996. On Katrina, I just ma- remarked there that if, you know, can we just get it over with and please give Katrina Toomey the freedom of the city. And Marie says, I think it is now time to do that. She deserves it. But then there's another reason. It would be a boost for the people she's helping to understand that society values the work. That's fabulous. That's good. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Let us come to the pandemic in a way that we've been kind of wondering for a while, should we do it? Um, Because, as you know on this program, since day one, and day one is actually tomorrow... There's a lot of people saying it should be today, but the the leap year kind of intervened. So we're going to mark day one tomorrow. Uh, Day one of lockdown and day one of where we are now. We'll mark it tomorrow. Today, I think, is the anniversary of when the first death in Ireland was confirmed. Um, And obviously our thoughts with that that family. We'll go there tomorrow. But ever since the start, what we've tried to do on this programme is go with the science. Talk to the vaccinologists, talk to the 
immunologists, talk to the public health experts here and around the world and, and be said by the science and be led by the science. And you know, along the way, maybe we've made mistakes, maybe we've got stuff wrong, I don't know. But to the for the best efforts we've made have been to stay with the science. And constantly we've been bombarded by people who have other theories, other theories with regard to the pandemic. Now, they range from relatively harmless ones to very dangerous ones. And we spoke a few months ago about another issue, or over a year ago now, I think, about another issue, with Ross Frenet, who runs a company called Moonshot, based in London, but from from Bishopstown originally. And I wanted to catch up, it's in the newspapers as well, the, the rise of stupid right-wing conspiracy theories. Everything from that story that we heard after the Dublin march that they were, I quote, killing babies, taking a hormone out of their bodies and burying them under the children's hospital. There are people actually believe this. Nonsense. And it's all over the place. And what happens is it can get into your house. It can poison the mind of someone in your house. And it can be very distressing for a family if you have someone who just doesn't believe it can be very distressing for families, for friendships, and it can be dangerous because if you've someone in the house who just refuses point blank to be part of any safety effort or be part of any cocooning or refuses to wear a mask or sanitize their hands or God knows wash their hands, it can be very problematic, particularly if you're trying to protect someone else who's vulnerable. Ross, good morning to you. Good morning to you, PJ. How are you doing? Good. Any number of dangers... Uh, but coming from those conspiracy theories, go through some of the more bizarre ones for me and then how we might deal with someone who's been roped into them. Yeah, absolutely, will do. Although first I have to correct a, a very serious bit of misinformation, which is that I'm from Bishopstone, where of course I'm from Cove. Uh, <laughs> okay. so, you know, that's weird. Oh, that's, worse than, that's worse than any QAnon. Sorry about that. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> no, so, I mean, this is the, the, the kind of strange thing about... Um, about conspiracy theories is there's such a huge gambit there. You have ones that are reasonably mild, as you said, and ones that are so extreme. I mean, like examples where uh, people genuinely believe that the world is run by lizard people. Um, And those ones can kind of sometimes sound funny, but they also can ruin the lives of people that believe in them. Because if you, if you, if you start going down that kind of line, you end up being totally detached from reality uh, in a way that can be very damaging to your life and can also lead uh, potentially to you even carrying out acts of violence. And, you know, we saw the bombing in Nashville on Christmas Day um, connected with conspiracy theorists. And we've seen um, QAnon-linked conspiracy theory uh, violence throughout America. So the, the first thing is that harms Explain people, for listeners who, who don't understand yeah. the term, who is yeah. or who are QAnon? Yeah, it's a great question. So it's, it's quite simple in, in many ways. So, um, you know, a number of years ago on online message boards, um, predominantly the Chans, um, there was someone uh, who just went by the name of Q who claimed to be uh, an intelligence official in the United States government um, that was uh, helping Donald Trump to wage a war against a global cabal of paedophiles. Um, that's the core of it. And it's it's been a very interesting conspiracy theory because it's managed to attract all sorts of other things. So, you know, 
5G is mind control, all the rest of this stuff, uh, even the lizard people stuff, all ends up getting sucked into the orbit. But at the core of it, what is what it is is the belief that the world is run by an evil cabal, um, usually who are, who are pedophiles or, or killing babies in some way or another, and that Donald Trump um, and an, and other and other small groups are, are battling this evil cabal. And so you, you'll hear all sorts of other stuff get attached to QAnon, but at the core of it, that's what it is. And it's tied up to racism and white supremacy and all of those things. It's tied into all sorts of weird things. This is the funny thing about QAnon, is that um, there's a bunch of folks who are involved in it who, you know, are, are just almost old-fashioned Nazis. You know, back in the day, not just Nazis, but even before then, you know, people would always say that, you know, Jews control the world and, and they're, they're killing uh, uh, Christian babies and all the rest of it. So there's a load of those lads who've seen this conspiracy theory and love it because they think, oh, brilliant, that's basically what we already think. But also, it, it's attracted people from the other end of the spectrum. There are people who are uh, attracted to QAnon because they actually started out as people who were, uh, you know, believed that Big Pharma was trying to poison everyone, they just wanted natural medicine, um, and uh, they've been attracted in almost from what you would think of as the left side. So it's not, there are lots and lots of white supremacists who have attached themselves to this. There are lots and lots of white supremacists who are associated with it. But there are also people there who probably think of themselves as left-wing, you know, organic, uh, organic eaters, you know, they're, they're going to uh, forego their vaccines and all the rest of it, who've also attached themselves. And this is why this thing is dangerous, is you can have two people, both of whom believe, uh, believe in kind of the core tenets of QAnon. But if you asked one of them, they'd say they were far right. And if you asked the other one, they would say that they're, a, they're an ecologist far left and it's why it's it's so strange because a, a conspiracy like this you can mirror back onto yourself almost whatever you want yeah like how does this madness lizard people and other such craziness how does that get into the normally level head of emma and barry in glenmire who are just getting on with life and trying to raise their kids how does it get yeah. into one of their heads and not the other yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, I suppose there's, there's, there's two elements to that. There's how does it spread and then why does it take hold? I mean, how it spreads is the easy part because, you know, a lot of this nonsense is on the, is on the internet. People, you know, we saw there was a QAnon campaign uh, last summer, I think it was, uh, where they were, you know, claiming to be running an anti-child trafficking campaign. They used the hashtag Save the Children. And loads of people then share that stuff because they think, geez, well, I'm against child trafficking, so I'll share that. And then you, you'll then end up in a situation, people will be uh, starting to ask the question, well, who's trafficking these children now? And then slowly but surely they get drawn in. So that's how it, that's how it goes in terms of how it spreads. But why people believe in it and why they hold on to it is much more interesting in some ways. The reason people hold on to it is because it makes them feel special. Everybody likes to feel special. And what conspiracy theorists do is they tell you everyone in the world except for you is a sheep. You're the only intelligent person out there. And anyone that attacks you, oh, they must be paid up members of the globalist elite. Um, so it's, it's appealing. It's it flat earth stuff. Like, Say again? It's flat earth stuff. Yeah, yeah, all, all that stuff. And it, it, but it, 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 the thing is, it makes you feel special. And we all need to bear this in mind when we're talking to family members or anyone else who's been, who's been uh, drawn into this. Because if you just say, well, you're, you're an idiot, um, this is obviously nonsense, you're a moron, and you shout at someone, that makes the person feel bad. And then they go back online and everybody says, oh, no, but you're, you're, you're a brave warrior, you're helping the children, you're helping all of this stuff. And which of those stories would you rather hear? 
everyone would rather be smart, everyone would rather feel good about themselves, and a conspiracy theory makes you feel like you personally are battling some evil global elite. And this that's is, interesting. This is a bit like, this, this, Ross, has shades of how ISIS wound in young men and women around, yeah. the, around the world. Yeah, absolutely. Reeled it's, them it's in. Very similar. Reeled them. There's a... Something that, and look, I, as I keep saying, my, my blocking finger on Twitter has arthritis in it at this stage <laughs> from, from the lunatics yeah, yeah, coming out of the woodwork. Oh, they will, absolutely. It. I'm all ready for it. I'm all ready for it. But because I have kind of, and we in this program aligned ourselves very much to the idea that we could eliminate this virus and hopefully keep it out, the whole zero theory. We, we, we have time for that. We speak to those people. We get, we get bombarded with this nonsense from time to time. But one thing that you do get is an awful lot of the people presently engaged in this stuff in Ireland have a national flag in their bio. They are anti-immigration and they're very driven down the... It's it's racism, let's let's call it what it is. But how does that link to denying that COVID... It's real. How did the two tie together? It, it, it's all kind of, it, it all kind of comes back to this idea that if you think the world is run by an evil, shady cabal, usually Jewish, in almost every conspiracy theory, the cabal, sooner or later, they end up, whether it's ISIS or whether it's the far right or anyone else, they usually end up sooner or later blaming Jews. Um, so if you believe the world is run by an evil, shady cabal and that you're, you're combating that cabal, that ties in with the far right and it also ties in with QAnon. And QAnon is convincing lots more people that the world is run by kind of evil baby killers, which, which you know, of course it's not. Another point to say is just because someone has an Irish flag in their, uh, on their Facebook, uh, excuse me, on their Twitter profile, doesn't actually mean they're Irish. You know, we've seen, uh, you know, we, we looked at, I think I spoke to you at the time about it, PJ, but um, after some of the events that happened in Carrigaline last yeah. year and elsewhere, the majority of the people tweeting about, Ar- uh, about Ireland, the majority of people getting stuck in and spreading conspiracy theories came from the state. So you have a rake of these of these lads who are claiming to be Irish patriots, but it's kind of Michael Collins five eight seven six two five seven um, with an Irish flag, um, and uh, we'd all be a hell of a lot better off if we just paid them a little less notice. Yeah, because like, there was a lot of this the demo in Cork on Saturday, which mercifully went off peacefully. A lot of Irish flags on display, a lot of badges, green hats, nationalistic fervor. Among among the crowd, it's a, it's an uncomfortable tie-in. I mean, there's many a, there's many a good patriot out there yeah. would 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 turn in their grave at the thought of these lunatics doing what they're doing. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, Irish nationalism has always been kind of uh, you know there's been there's many traditions of it, right? But. Uh, kind of anti-imperialist and, and usually internationalist in its outlook. It's one of the it's one of the, the great things about this country. Um, but there has there's often been an undercurrent that wanted to make it a kind of a petty, small-minded racial nationalism. Um, and thankfully, they've always been a tiny minority. But 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 these people trying to make Irish nationalism about you know blood purity and 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 uh, uh, you know tying it in with anti anti-semitism um you know goes against the very tenets of the foundation of the state yeah. i mean the symbol of our the symbol of our state is about the unification of multiple faiths uh, multiple creeds and all the rest of it so this is something that you know 
many a scoundrel in the world will wrap themselves in a national flag, and whether that's uh, whether that's in America, Ireland, or France, um, it's the easiest thing for people to do. Um, but uh, when they're wrapping themselves in that flag, it doesn't mean that they're immune to criticism. It actually means the rest of us need to make sure to take those symbols back and uh, not allow them to be uh, taken over by the far right, who you know ultimately have. Uh, if you look at who they're palling around with and who they spend time with in the forums, they spend a lot of time with uh, with British nationalists and others that uh, that, that 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 hate us. So, um, mm. uh, so yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't for a second allow these people to claim the mantle of the great patriots and all the rest of us. Of course, are, are, are less patriotic than them. You, it takes more than a flag to make a patriot. You, I love that line. You come back frequently to anti-Semitism, and and there's a thing in the article I read in the Examiner called blood libel. Now, what's that, Ross? Yeah, so blood libel is, it's a very, very old um, uh, conspiracy theory. It's, it's uh, over a thousand years old. And this is why, you know, we're, we're all talking about it today, but conspiracy theories have been around for a long time. Um, that holds this Jews uh, uh, kidnap and kill uh, Christian babies for use in, 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 in for nefarious purposes. This is obviously nonsense for all listeners. This is total nonsense. But it's important that we know about these things. Um, so this is this was said in the medieval in medieval times. And when people would say this stuff, the, the townspeople would often uh, rise up and, and kill their Jewish neighbours. Um, and this has been said basically ever since. The Nazis used to say it. Uh, it was said by the medieval church. There was a pogrom in Limerick in 1904 Limerick? where uh, blood libel was mentioned. And the, the modern versions, when we're looking at QAnon or even looking, you mentioned at the top of the programme, people saying, oh, they kill babies to use... Uh, to, to help um, uh, RTE presenters stay young. It's just an update of a thousand-year-old um, uh, a thousand-year-old conspiracy that somehow there are these evil people who are kidnapping ki- and, and killing your children. Um, it's been going on for a really long time. And the other thing as well to say, PJ, is a lot of the people that are spreading this don't know the history. They don't know that blood libel is this thing that's been around for a long time. They don't know that when fascists say globalist, they're speaking code, and they actually mean Jew. Um, so you could have a relative of yours who's sitting there talking about globalists this and George Soros that, um, who doesn't think of themselves as anti-Semitic. Um, but actually, the, the underlying currents, all of these theories, mm. are a thousand years old. We've just updated them for the internet age. But and there that's is, see, that's where the, the conversation gets a, a bit difficult, because there is a real, there is a real thing called globalism in terms of trade and and business and that kind of thing. So again you're you're robbing a term that is a real yeah. term. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And this well this is uh, you, you can usually tell quite quickly, right? Is who these people pick as their enemies is often is often one of the uh, one of the key ones is you you'll notice and you notice it I mean again you'll have come across it a lot of the memes uh that are used a lot of the accusations that are used it's nearly always um nearly always Jewish folks. Um, but, uh, you know, a particular bugbear of a lot of conspiracy theorists is George Soros, who, again, just so happy... Oh, I get a check off him every Monday. And a thank yeah, yeah, you yeah, note. Oh, I do. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, jeez, lovely, yeah, lovely man. Lovely man. Lovely man. Exactly, yeah. Honest to no, God, change me character for the George. Thank you very much, George. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. You know, it's funny, because I, I, I'm, you know, after the Examiner piece came out a couple of days ago, I'm getting all these accusations that I'm in the pay of the global elite. It's like, I wish I was. <laughs> I'd be able to afford a mortgage. <laughs> yeah, it's all, it's all nonsense. If you have someone in your family or in your circle, Ross, who is tied up in this, 
Yeah. I'd be inclined to pity them, but how can you help them? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, so there's a few elements to this. The first is that conspiracy theorists, kind of like extremists, target people who are vulnerable. They've got something bad going on in their life and they need something to latch onto. So if your family member is going through this, the first thing to do is instead of fighting them on it, see if see if they're okay. See, you know, see if they need support, emotional support, other things that have nothing to do with the conspiracies. Because a lot of the time, actually, what they're trying to do is latch onto something to give them meaning. But if they keep spouting this stuff, the main thing is to kind of challenge them, but do it politely. If you just say, oh, you're an effing idiot, um, get out of my house. That'll make you feel better, but it'll actually make them believe it more. So you need to challenge them politely. You need to provide them with good information. So they say, you know, oh, the vaccines cause this, that or the other. You can send them articles to say, well, actually, they don't. And you can also point out um, point out that uh, that they, these claims have been debunked before. But the last thing is is to give it time. You're not going to be able to convince someone in one conversation to, to undo all, yeah. you know, years of this stuff. It takes a long time. It can take months and even years yeah. to pull people out of this. So if you have someone you love, you need to challenge them robustly but politely. Um, you need to provide them with useful information and you need to stay patient because, you know, a lot of the time you mightn't have seen it, but these people have been dragged into this stuff mm. uh, over years, uh, you know, usually usually on their phone and online. So, um, yeah, if you look... Lastly, Ross, there's a text here that I, I find particularly interesting. Now, it's someone who, who disagrees with me on a lot of things and that's fine. They're entitled to do that. But there is a... There, there comes a time when some of the stuff that the QAnons of this world are saying begins to roll out as actual news. And I'm thinking in terms of the Epstein story. Yeah. So, like, if you look at uh, this text that comes in, Epstein didn't get a chance to spill the beans on his circle. but the It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Someone who helped him a lot is due to stand trial Will she make it to court? That like that's real news rolling yeah, itself into the conspiracy theory side of things, where it be, can become difficult to separate the two. Absolutely. And this is why I think it's important for you, it's important for me, and it's important for anyone that tries to talk about this stuff, not to ever deny that conspiracies exist. You know, the piece I wrote in the examiner a few days ago, the first line in it was conspiracies are real. Yeah. There are conspiracies in the world. Epstein's a great example of that. There are powerful elites that try and cover things up to, 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 um, to protect their own power. But here's the difference conspiracies have evidence to underpin them. And the people who are usually uncovering that evidence are journalists and academics and, 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 and uh, you know, the, and all the rest of it. Um, those are people that are concerned with evidence. 
if a conspiracy, the difference between conspiracy and conspiracy theory is conspiracy theories hate evidence and conspiracy theorists hate journalists. Uh, you know, even they even they often they talk about. Um, you know, you get this example of, oh, WikiLeaks uh, was there. But sure, WikiLeaks was broken by The Guardian, who conspiracy theorists would say, oh, they're mainstream media shills. So they can't have it both ways. Yeah. So, you know, anyone who's listening, I am not saying, PJ is not saying, anyone else, that there's no conspiracies. There are conspiracies in the world. But what you need to ask yourself is, is there evidence for this? And who benefits from you believing it? Because if there's no evidence, if the kind of people who are pushing it out are uh, are denying uh, all of the evidence to the contrary, and if there's an undercurrent there that actually what they want to do is stir up hate, um, then you want to be very careful with that because you might well be being manipulated. All right, listen, Ross, thank you. Good to catch up with you. Uh, Ross Frenish, originally from Cove. God bless me for saying Bishopstown. From Cove, but based in the UK, runs a company called Moonshot CVE. Uh, great work that he does. Thanks, Ross. 1850-715-996. I suppose be kind if someone is caught up in that stuff. Kevin says, I have two flags in my bio. They're my flags. They are, Kev, but you have a name, not a telephone number. Uh, QAnon is the umbrella group for all conspiracy theorists, cultists. They're not stupid. They're using modern media to target people in their news feeds every day. They then migrate to their own platforms and get their opinions reinforced. It's a cult. You're not wrong, Kev. I got a link um, about a year ago of a story we were following here to where it had gone on these other channels and it would turn your stomach to read the way it had been twisted and manipulated. And you have to feel sorry for people who get pulled into that. You absolutely do. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Let's bring back some of those memories. Take the Throwback Thursday quiz. What can you remember? Plus, I'm going to race you through your afternoon with all the biggest tunes from your favourite artists. See you from midday on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96FM. If there's one sport in Ireland that has been just torn apart by scandal over the years and dreadful scandal and just horrific stories of abuse it is swimming um, and a number of very very senior officials and senior individuals in the world of Irish swimming were exposed as paedophiles one of them was George Gibney now George Gibney was the Irish Olympic swimming coach from 1984 to 1991 he was charged with multiple counts and I mean multiple counts of sexual abuse against children and teenagers that he was coaching. And it was supposed to go to court and it, he was supposed to be tried. But the case against him eventually collapsed. This was a massive news story at the time. The case against him eventually collapsed following a judicial review because of the time between the complaints being made and the thing coming to trial and, and all of that. Just 
There were 27 charges and none of them went ahead. And after that, he eventually left Ireland, um, set up home in the USA and lives in Florida now. Um, now, his name came back into the headlines in a few years, or in the last few years, with, with a podcast, a BBC podcast series called Where is George Gibney? And they took up the story, followed it, delved into it, analysed it in the kind of depth you can only analyse something with a podcast. And it's led to, among other things, a book, a book that I have in my hand written by Trish Carney, uh, who has lived in Cork for many, many years. And at one time was a very, very promising swimmer. And she was abused by George Gibney. And she's written that story down in the form of a book called Above Water. Trish, good morning to you. Hi, how are you? Um, I remember the Gibney story breaking. I remember how horrific it was. It it robbed your childhood. He did. Yeah. Yeah. How, yeah, did, you like meet, I, how did you meet him? I was uh, I was a young swimmer. I was thirteen, and I had moved to his um, swimming club, which was Trojan Swimming Club, um, in the early uh, late seventies, early nineties. And uh, at thirteen, um, I had only just really joined the club, and within a very short period of time, I was uh, um, being abused by Gibney, and I was one of uh, quite a number. And in fact, the year I was born. George Gibney had begun abusing children, so it had been going on for a long time. He, he abused children over three three decades. Um, like that's an awful lot of abuse, um, and uh, number like more than one child at a time, and it was boys and girls. Even though Chalky is the only boy that has actually come forward, but there have been allegations of other boys. Mm. You describe it in the book 1980 as the year I stopped laughing. Yeah, I, I, I do because I feel that that was, that was very, very significant for me because I did laugh. Of course I laughed. I laughed right through my, my teens, but I didn't laugh in my heart. And I didn't really know that until I got older. And there was a particular moment and a particular day almost that, that I, I laughed heartily and I actually felt unwell. Uh, I was in my twenties. I had my 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 I had two children at the time. I had my little boy in my arms, and I just roared laughing at something. And I actually had to sit down because I didn't know what was wrong. And I realised that I was it was this intense feeling of happiness. And you know, in hindsight, I realised that I I didn't really feel that for an awfully long time while I was externally happy. And and if you had asked me, I, I would have said, oh yeah, I'm I'm fierce happy. I'm having a great life, but. Inside, I wasn't. I, I, and I can remember that feeling of, of that loneliness and sadness in me, even though externally I was every other way, you know. For how long did he abuse you? And, and when you tried to tell people about it, what happened? Well, I, uh, I, I was abused really from 13 on and off right through my teenage years, but, but pretty systematically almost daily or twice daily up until I was 15, 16 maybe. Uh, but it was, you know, I've always said to people, it wasn't the physical 
act of abuse that really, you know, tore the heart out of me. It was the course of control. It was the fact that George Gibney, you know, when you said there, you know, I stopped laughing. George Gibney did not let me laugh. I wasn't allowed if I if I roared laughing amongst my friends. He he appeared as if to say, "What's going on here?" You know, there was no words used. It was just his physical presence, mm. and so it was an incredibly controlling situation. A so, cruel man by the reading of the book. Oh, he was evil. Ah, he was he was an awful. There, man. There's one there's one piece where you read it and and uh, you got out of a swimming pool and he said I hope you enjoyed that last breath it just cost you the Olympics and that was an extraordinarily cruel thing to say to a, to a youngster yeah yeah that was actually the last time I swam um, I uh, I went to a swimming competition in Belfast to try to make a qualifying time for the kind of like a pre-Olympic squad, you know, and it would have been, and I didn't make the time, only by the smallest of margins, but, you know, anyone who is involved in swimming knows, you know, those last five metres yeah. do you make the You don't breathe if you can avoid it, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah but like, of course, I, I, I did breathe, and, and everyone's human, and, and yeah. you know, I did, it possibly did cost me the Olympics, but he, you know, a little bit of compassion and, yes. and sorrow would have been a nice thing. Yeah. But you know what, it just... It made it made me just in that moment just realise, you know what, you know, what am I doing? F off, give me. I'm out of here. And there was an awful lot going on in my own life. My dad was very sick. And I suppose that was just the moment where I just thought, you know, I'm finished swimming. I didn't always equate, you see, being swimming with being amongst Gibney, you know, swimming was such a drug to me that, uh, you know, it was very hard to actually leave the dream um, that I had 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 for so many years of my life uh, to make an Olympic time. But once I had made it, I was out of there. And, uh, you know, from that, that was a that was a, a major moment in life. Yeah. Trying to tell people what was going on was agonizing. It was because I didn't actually want to tell anyone, nor did I ever feel the need to tell anyone. I, I, you know, all through my teenage years, it was never something that was at the back of my head. I wish I could tell her. The only person I ever kind of, you know, reached that point where I wish they knew was, was I had a friendship with Gary O'Toole and, mm-hmm. and, and our, that friendship fell apart. And I could see how hurt he was that I wasn't talking to him anymore. And, and in the back of my, my mind, I did wish that I, I wish that Gary knew, but I didn't want to tell him. And I never, ever thought my parents, they were such lovely people and my families, you know, my friends, everybody. It never occurred to me to tell anyone to break free. Never. But then when I got a letter from Gary as as an older person, I was 26, with it, I had my first child at that stage. And, and, and he was sort of saying, you weren't the only one. And that was a fear shock to me. And at that point, I realized I wanted to go to the guards, but I hadn't even told my husband. And so... I was sort of forced into, not, not, you know, in any awful way, but from my own self, I forced myself that I had to tell people this. I wanted to go to the guards because it was such a shock to me that I wasn't the only one. And uh, I, I knew then at that point, I can't, I can't leave this lie. So I had to tell people, but it was extremely difficult to tell family, friends. I didn't really tell very many, to be honest, yeah. um, until uh, the case died. And then, I, you know, we, we came forward anonymously and told the, the Sunday Tribune. And, you know, PJ, that, that was a huge thing at the time because uh, they named George Gibney. They put a picture in the paper That's and they right. said he was a sex offender, even though he hadn't been to court. I remember Can reading that story. I remember that. that. It was so brave. And, and if 
if Peter Murta and Johnny Waterson had not run that story, I would not, nobody would be ever talking about George Gibney. Mm-hmm. And like that podcast, um, that was actually done by two Irish um, men that are involved in second captains, mm-hmm. um, Mark Horgan and Kieran Cassidy. And for them to, all those years later, still be fascinated by the story. But that story would be hidden gone away and George Gibney would have been able to carry on destroying lives oh. right up to maybe the present moment only for good journalism. You mentioned Gary O'Toole. Now, Gary is a very familiar face, I think, on Irish television because he himself was a damn fine swimmer in his own right and I think he did go to the Olympics at one point. He did, and he was a European silver medalist. Yeah, marvellous guy. And and I've met him once or twice, lovely fella. He's a doctor, I think, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. He is an orthopedic surgeon. Yeah. He... He... First of all, that you you were very close friends with him growing up, and 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 that friendship dissipated. Now, very sad to read about that because he played him in in his own way played a massive role. Yes, I suppose in exposing you know, Gibney down the if, road. If it wasn't for you know Gary O'Toole as a twenty one, twenty two year old, uh, Gibney would never ever have been stopped. You know. T- to begin with because Gary was told it by Chalky White and yes. you know again even for Chalky to tell Gary and people just are quite blasé about oh Chalky told Gary but like he told him when I couldn't tell anyone you know so Gary Chalky spoke up and then Gary said as a 21 year old 22 year old I can't let this continue yes. and he figured out a way and he didn't just blurt it out he actually came up with a plan and for me he he his plan included because I no longer lived in Dublin was sending a letter a registered letter to me you know uh, saying that this had happened to other people and if I if I wanted if it had happened to me you know there were I could do something about it if and but but there was no pressure or anything and he never followed it up yeah. it was just this is this is what can happen and and that was that was what changed everything then and but within even within the swimming association with those accusations it was a different world and Gary was not believed and then we were not believed so like it it is bizarre to look back and think that grown adults some of them would have been in their 30s like when you said it was so long ago that Gibney couldn't provide an adequate defence it was only 10 years if you look at the term right. it was a, it was a bizarre forward, decision to drop all those was, charges it was bizarre but, but having said that Gary you like I suppose it's a lovely quirk of fate that you know he couldn't do anything for me as a young teenager but then it was actually by his very actions that he has helped me and all the others um, later in life, like in his 20s. And who, who in their 20s, you know, takes on a whole organisation and a very powerful man. Oh, he was man a very, very brave lad. Very, very and, brave. Very, very, very clever. Yeah. Have you rekindled the friendship? Well, we never lost it as such. We, You know, it's one of those friendships that, you know, we were extraordinarily good friends as children, but, but bear in mind, we were children, like 11, 12, 13, 14. You know, it was just, we were kind of kinship in terms of, of swimming and, and our outlook in life. And yes, I, you know, I will always be very, very happy to say that I, I'm a friend of Gary's and yeah. he's a friend of mine. Yeah. But it's not, it's not a friendship that we, uh, we're, we're, you know, in touch regularly or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. The book, you, you pick it up in, in, in a shop and it's got a lovely bright blue cover obviously water and swimming and all of that and it 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 doesn't it doesn't warn of the dark stuff within it but i think there's a message in that isn't there that recovery is possible and it's not hopeless 
Yes, and I think I was very, like, even within my life, I don't go into details. This isn't a book that you will actually shirk from reading, you know, about sexual abuse. You will read in this book, even my own friend said that they learned more about coercive control. They never fully understand why I didn't tell anyone and and what sort of spell I was under until they read the book. And I think the book does does help people, you know, to kind of, the biggest question people go is, why, why didn't you tell? And they really can't get their head around it. And I'm a mum and, and uh, you know, I would... I would be very aware that there are still people all around me who cannot tell. They they would, you know, they would like to, but they can't. And this helps people to understand, you know, the hold and control someone has over you. But yes, it's also very much, you know, the fact that, you know, how do you live a life where this is happening to you and yet you can come through it? And I would hope that people, while they you know, gain an insight into what happened and what sort of a man George Gibney was that that ultimately I think it's a book that I would hope anyway that people will, will feel, you know, even though it sounds terrible to say it, that they enjoyed reading it because mm. it's about my, my lovely dad, my mum, you know, it's about a warm family relationships, it's stories about my own family, you know, and of coming through and how that, that early love and the, the, the bonds of family and love you know, kind of really helped me in my life. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and, and that, look, you know, it is possible to recover and if someone reaches out, there is always someone who will listen. It's an important yes. message. I think it's very important. I think that the, the most important thing is that every single person who lives, and I think it's really obvious at the moment, every one of us get up every morning and we need hope. It doesn't matter how much hope that is. You just need a tiny bit of hope to get through every day. And I think if you can look to somebody in the future and say, well, maybe someday I will recover that much. But you don't have to. It's not a competition. You just have to recover enough that you can keep hope in every day and that you can, you know, have, get something out of every day and, you know, that there is life in your day. Mm. Uh, and that that's what I would hope that people, you know, families or friends or those people who are going through it will read the book or, or even just people who are interested in the story, that, that they will see that there is, we're way stronger than we think we are and there is hope. Mm. At the end of the book, you say that you have no yearning as such to see Gibney punished at this stage. He lives in Florida and and you've you've no yearning to see him punished or brought to trial. Why is that? Well, I suppose uh, I had fierce yearning for a long time, for many years. People forget, like, it was 30 years ago nearly that I had that hope that, yes, for two years we went through the courts and we were told he would be punished for this. And then we were told that it wasn't even going to court and that we were liars. And then we came through that. This case has emerged and re-emerged over many years. We have, our, our hope has been dashed many times. And I suppose being older now, I've learned to live with that. That's something I've no control over. As far as I'm concerned, that ship has sailed. Gibney will, ne- for my charges, Gibney will never be charged. After the podcast, 18 more people have come forward. Yes. And since 1994, when I came forward, another very brave swimmer came forward and put forward her charges of how he raped her on a trip in Florida. They are all new charges. So whether anything ever comes of those charges, you know, I would love those people, if that's what they want, if they want justice, I feel that, yes, it would be lovely for them to get whatever brings them peace. But I'm at peace with the fact that, you know, the judicial system 100 percent, 
you know, didn't match us, what our expectation. It did let us down. You know, it subsequently changed its mind. Uh, it didn't say that we were wrong to bring a prosecution. It just eventually said, oh, right, well, we've changed our minds on that. You know, you can now, as we've seen with the Terenure, um yes. uh, survivors. For this Marmion guy. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you know, ours was 10 years. And we were told, no, that's too long. Yeah. Um, he can't defend himself. Now we've seen all through the years that that is not the case. Yeah. So, you know, I, I've come to terms with it. I live in a, a lovely life. I I'm, I give huge, I'm, you know, I'm grateful every day for that mm. I am happy. Do you, know, you for, swim? As you say, my smiling is back. Um, I don't. I was very involved in um, Sunday Swim Swimming Club in coaching and and teaching swimming uh, for many years. And you know what? I, the biggest thrill I got out of that was that I learned um, that swimming is a wonderful sport, and that what happened to me was not swimming; it was George Gibney. And that there's kids all over Cork City that have learned to love swimming, and I was part of that. And yes. I I find that that is. That's just, you know, all the all the, the big milestones I had to overcome in life, which one of which was going back to a pool and going back to swimming, have been tremendously yeah. rewarding. That all around Cork, those kids, number one, can look after themselves in the water if they fell in, and number two, that they love what they do. Do you know, for and all... That's, that's fabulous. For all he took, he never took your spirit. I don't think so. I hope not, anyway. <laughs> yeah. All right, listen, lovely talking to you, Trish. And I wish you every success uh, with the book. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks a million. Cheers. That's Trish Kearney, um, a survivor of the abuser, George Gibney. The Rape Crisis Centre in Dublin has a 24-hour helpline. It's 1-800-77-8888. 1-800-77-8888. Paid House is 1-800-247-247. one 800 24 7 24 7. Samaritans 116 123. Or indeed the Sexual Violence Centre here in Cork 1 800 496 496. That's 1 800 496 496. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96 FM. 1857 the number. The text to WhatsApp 083 396 The email opinion at 96fm.ie If you missed anything in our first couple of hours Then of course you can get the podcast in the afternoon We'll pop it up on Twitter Then it goes to all your platforms And onto the Cork's 96FM app We asked you to get involved In the next section of the programme And you have done in your numbers uh, we love talking about our dreams we do it every so often you could do it every month and, and people would, would come up with questions and answers and all the theories about what they've been dreaming and what what's going through their heads while they sleep and, and it's just bizarre um, before I go to, to to the stuff that's been coming in from the public just to welcome back to the opinion line because they've been with us before Michael Sheridan Michael good morning to you Thanks for having me, PJ. Good to talk to you, as always. Uh, joining us from whatever part of the world you happen to be in at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Seattle. Seattle, yeah. Um, the, our dreams and how they work is, I think it's a source of wonderment and mystery to us all. So, but before we start asking questions, what is a dream, Michael? So, the it, quick summary, and it, it, you talk about things that divide people, it's a, a message from your higher self to your soul to try get you into alignment with what your life purpose is. 
Okay. Now, it's people say, how can that be the case? Because it seems all bizarre and there's, you know, it's, I dream about things that happen during the day. But that's what we do. Um, we're always going to dream about things that happened recently. But it's the differences in the dream that stand out that allow us to interpret it. And, you yeah. know, so we quite often we filter out the, the normal stuff that we can say, yeah, okay, that <laughs> happened. We remember, we remember the unusual, but we forget the humdrum, ordinary stuff we dreamt about. Yeah, we, people would tend to remember, for instance, a nightmare much more easily than they'll remember a regular dream. But the interpretation isn't necessarily anything bad. It's just definitely going to stand out. Yeah. I, I, I began talking about this this week by recalling a strange dream I had myself the other night. Um, and we might start with that one before I go into the ones that have come in from listeners. We were having sure. a discussion, myself and the wife, in the garden on, on Sunday as she was preparing for spring. She's a mad into her gardening. And she pointed to a corner of the garden that, that always gets the sun in the evenings. She said, you know what I'm going to do this year? What we're going to do is we're going to put a little small deck in there so that we can just sit there in the evenings and take the last of the sun. And I thought, you know, that's a fabulous idea. And we'll take the measurements and we'll order the wood. And we'll, you know, it'll be a grand little project some weekend. And I thought no more of it. Went off to bed. And do you think I could get the plan for a deck out of my blasted head for the entire night? It haunted me till the alarm went off. I couldn't figure out what the hell was going on at all. What's that about? <laughs> well, so that's exactly uh, what happens. We're, we dream about the things that we were doing. So in the plans, though, there might have been numbers, like the length of the deck yeah. uh, or the width of the deck. And it's, it's those things that are important. Like, why is it important that the deck is nine feet? Or why, why is it eight foot wide? Uh, it's that's what you'd go after because that wouldn't have been something you were considering. So you look for the differences that stand out. Can you remember what they were? They're only six by six. <laughs> it's really small. Okay. All right. Okay. So that's really good. Six is, so we have five senses and six in a dream is about going beyond the five senses. So it's like using your intuition, for instance, would be indicated by a six. Um, it's very positive uh, in a dream. So it's saying, look, it reminds you that you're getting help from the spirit world all the time in areas of your life and uh, to trust that intuition. Okay, and trust my ability to do it, I suppose, at the end of the day. Right. Mel says, lately I've been having a lot of dreams with insects in them. Bees, wasps, moths, dragonflies. I'm always trying to either catch them or kill them. What's that about? Well, killing them is normally the thing you want to do with bugs in a dream uh, because it can be about things that bug you. The different insects can be different things. Um, but generally, like if, you're, if you have an illness, you can dream about bugs because you've got bugs in your system. Um, if you've got the uh, vaccine, you might dream about it too because the whole idea of the virus is on your mind uh, or you're worried about getting the virus, then you can dream about bugs. Um, but generally what happens is you'll have those dreams a few days before the onset of uh, a symptom if you picked up a cold. Um, different bugs are different. So a spider, though, is, is, is not the same. A spider is going to be about having an irrational fear around something. So they're usually a good dream. So if you're thinking about doing something and then you dream about spiders, then it tells you that the fears that you have of it not working or whatever your fears are, aren't going to uh, happen. So you can do it with more confidence that you're going to get the result that you intended. I can imagine someone who doesn't like spiders dreaming about spiders. Yeah, but, you know, you can't really force yourself to dream about anything. 
um, it, it's you're going to dream about whatever is the weakest aspect of your functioning, and then you're going to pull in whatever from your environment um, that will help make that message uh, stick. Right, right. Is this our mind, Michael, resetting or or trying to deal with stuff it's taking in? What is it? So that's what scientists say. So there, you know, it's kind of. It, it isn't that isn't what it is i mean there is a mix of like i said we're always going to dream about things that happened but other things will stand out so you for instance might watch a horror movie and uh you have a nightmare and you say well that's because i, I watched a horror movie but you're going to have a different dream so if you dream of dracula but you didn't watch dracula then why pick dracula and it's that difference that's important um so it's like the the events of the day and things like that um our dreams comment on those. So if we have an argument or, or things are going on at work, we can dream of that situation in order for the dream to have a comment on it. So it's not really uh, a, um, a reset. It's, it's more like a creative use of what's been in our environment in order to put a story together. Jen says, I'm always dreaming that I'm late for an exam, that I'm rushing, I don't make it, and then I wake up in a cold sweat. Yeah, that's a really good dream and very common one. Like in the top 10 uh, of dreams, that's right up the top. And it's really a good dream because you're not allowed to do an exam unless the authorities deem that you have put in the required study or training to uh, merit being able to do the exam. So it means your higher self is saying that you're ready to move into another phase of something um, and they deem that you're ready and that's why you're sitting the exam in the dream but we always seem to have this fear in those dreams that I haven't studied I haven't or I thought it was a history exam and here it is it's a maths exam there's always things like that um, but the great news is again if there's something you're thinking of doing you know like changing career uh, committing to a relationship whatever it is doesn't matter that dream is saying absolutely go ahead it's going to be great Right. So it's a dream that's about all the things that might possibly go wrong is telling you that actually it's going to go right. It's telling you that you're definitely ready for whatever it is that you're um, thinking about doing. Um, you, it can still kind of mess up. The spirit world's kind of a bit uh, funny that way. If, if something's going to mess up spectacularly and you're going to learn something about yourself, then they can say, yeah, go ahead. It's, it's going to be good for you, ultimately. Now, they don't add the ultimately in. But uh, you're going to grow. It's, everything is about us growing in awareness and learning more about ourselves so that we, our awareness increases. Mm. But generally, exam dreams, they're not a pitfall. They're not saying, hey, this is going to fail and you'll learn. Uh, they're just super positive because um, you're ready to do the next thing. Um, so if you're finishing something or if you're learning a new skill, um, the exam is the same as what it would be in reality, saying you're ready now to, to use this in a public setting. Gotcha. Bernadette often has a dream that a person or even a number of people are standing around my bed while I'm asleep and then I wake up with a fright Ah, yes you would indeed so um, she probably has the ability well not probably she would have the ability to see spirits um, and communicate with spirits so she's clairvoyant um, Mm. and uh, it's, it's something she could practice doing it's kind of funny because I do that now. In fact, I teach people how to channel, um, but it's something I used to be very afraid of. Um, and it's, it's funny now to think about the fear that I used to have around it. 
Um, because when you can do it, when like anybody can talk to spirits, like you can pray and spirits are going to hear you, or you can you can actually just talk normally. Ideally, in a meditative state, though, you can hear the, what they're saying and uh, get answers back. So you're always being given help about every single circumstance in your life. Um, and uh, if you can channel, it's absolutely fantastic. Anybody that can do it, they channel on everything that they possibly can because it, it helps you do the right thing. So, so Bernadette has a skill that she could use a bit more? Absolutely. It just seems fearful. Well, she, she said she wakes up with a fright. So, yes. so to her, it's, it's fearful. And that's not surprising. You know, like, look at Hollywood. Every movie about spirits, it's, it's done with, for dramatic effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just not really part of our culture. But if it was part of our culture, if we taught our kids as they're growing up, like, hey, this is a reality, part of reality, we wouldn't have the fears around it. So now we in the West really just associate spirits with passing on yeah. and uh, has that horrible fear with it. Yeah. don't know if you saw that Netflix program recently, Behind Her Eyes. Uh, there, there was a lot of dreaming and strange dreams in it. And everyone woke up with this enormous start of fright. Uh, which I thought, that's given, that's given dreams a bit of a bad rep, really, you know? I didn't see it. I must watch it. I, I like shows that include dreams in some sort of way, and Netflix has done that recently. This one is bizarre, I promise you. This one is bizarre. <laughs> it's great, it's excellent, but it's very... Strange. Let's go to uh, this one. Um, I, I dream about a room that's all decorated in red with a lovely red ribbon all tied in a bow, and I get a lovely warm feeling. And even now when I think about it, I get a lovely warm feeling. So red is a very energising colour. It's the colour of the base chakra. Um, so you'll dream about... What's that You now? can dream about the base chakra. So we have seven chakras. Top four, the seventh one is at the top of our head, and the, the first one is at the base of the spine. And uh, it's connected to the reproductive system. So if you have issues there, you can dream of red because it's a very healing color for that part of your body. Uh, that's not, I don't, that isn't what your uh, caller's dream is about, but um, just for completeness. But then red is really energizing. It gives you a lot of energy. Uh, so if you've been not doing well, red can uh, you will have dreams of red before you get all your energy back. Uh, but it's also the color for passion and fun and, and enjoying yourself in life. So it's it's just a super positive color to have. Yeah. I mean, there are there are negative sides to everything as well in dreams. So red can be about anger, like we say somebody was red with anger. But but when you see the ribbon on it like that, we definitely are going for the positive side of it. So. Uh, it's just going to be the dreamer's going to feel great. Like and she even says it that yeah. you feel great. W- wakes up all happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the point. Sarah says, "When I'm awake, I fully trust my husband. But often, when I'm asleep, I keep dreaming of him naked in bed with another woman. I can see the woman, but I only see his back. I don't recognize the woman at all, and I can't see his face. I'm particularly curious about that. What is going on?" Right. Um, I love when somebody starts off with, I fully trust, because <laughs> um, that would be implicit. Uh, I'm only joking, though. But the, So d- dreams of intimacy, sexual intimacy, even though she doesn't say that's what happens in the dream, uh, are about being in touch with your male and female side. So um, here, because there's an extra woman, the dream is about the female side. Now, if she had said, I'm suspicious of my husband, um, 
then we say, okay, the dream is about the relationship. Do you feel like he's turned his back on you and that he's seen other people? But the woman's already in the same bed as her, so it's going to be about her getting in touch with her female side, her emotions, and expressing herself. So if I was talking to her, I would ask, do you have any difficulty uh, saying how you feel in public settings, not around friends, but in, in other settings where you're around people that you don't know, or do you keep to yourself? Because this dream is is encouraging her to heal whatever causes her to um, to not speak up in those situations. Okay, okay. I want to do another one, and then we'll take a commercial break. They're flying in here, uh, Michael. Helen works sure. in customer admin not in an open office or anything like that, doesn't do any accounts or anything sensitive, but has a recurring dream where her boss in real life, in other words, it's she recognises her boss in the dream, comes up to me and says, the auditor is here and he wants to speak to you. And I'm very worried. Oh, um, so we have certain things that we're meant to do in our lives. Uh, like, for instance, um, me using dreams and... Uh, using that skill that I developed to help other people. And I learned that I had from, um, from George Radigan, another Irishman. And uh, in one of the first dreams I ever gave him, he said, this is something you're meant to be doing. And there were symbols in the dream that said, look, you've got the skill, you're meant to be uh, using it to help other people. So she's got something that she's meant to be doing. And her boss is a guide in the dream, and guides are infallible. They're the only character that are... Whatever, if, if you've got a title, they're a guide. So whatever, um, he's saying to her that the auditors are coming and she feels like, oh, she's going to be in trouble. So it's like an audit is being done of your life, being done of what you're meant to be doing. Um, and are you, have you stepped up and, and doing the things that you're meant to be doing? Now, it's most likely going to be some skill that she already knows she has, but she's not really using it publicly. It's not about her career, really. Um, so it's like if she has an ability to channel and she's not using it, because uh, she doesn't want to stand out or whatever, or be different or ostracized or whatever she fears. And she should already know this. It will be in her mind, whatever it is. And um, okay. this dream is saying, look, you have to get on with um, using that in public. Okay. I'm going to take a quick break, Michael. Hopefully stay with us for a little while more. I'm talking to Michael Sheridan, uh, dream analyst. Before I go into the into the break, here's another scenario that comes up. Uh, I'll give you the first half of the dream and then I'll give you the second half of it and see what we figure out. Dreaming about someone that you know well but haven't seen in a very long time. They come up prominently in a dream, but you haven't seen them in a very long time. Take a quick break and back. 1857-15996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. The drama is sensational. That's 80. Oh! And it's all right here. Grealish for seven! Join me, Trevor Welch, on 96fm.ie for the Premier League Live online, powered by TalkSport. Go, go. This Saturday, it's Leeds United versus Chelsea at 12.30. Crystal Palace versus West Brom at 3. Everton versus Burnley at 5.30. And Fulham versus Man City at 8. The Premier League Live Online. With Now TV. Stream live action from BT Sport and Premier Sports on the Now TV Sports Extra Pass. Listen every Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or see 96FM.ie. 
So talking to Michael Sheridan, dream analyst based in, in Seattle, um, and lots of people with queries of what their dreams mean. Here's one I started before the break, Michael, go back to it. So this is someone you dream about that you haven't seen in a very long time, probably because of the pandemic, as in someone you might see reasonably frequently but haven't seen them at all. The following day, you throw them a message. Hey, haven't seen you in a bit. How are you doing? Turns out they've run into a bit of trouble in their life and, and they're so delighted you reached out. What's all that about? So it's really interesting. That's a twist you put on at the end of it. Um, so I've been talking a few times about having extra, like a sense that goes beyond the five senses. And um, so if you dream about somebody that is in trouble and wants you to contact them or you could help them in some way, mm. then it just proves to you that you have that ability and that's how they show up in your dreams. Even but if there's no evidence in the dream of the trouble, you only find out about the problem when you call them. Yeah, but it, it still was enough for you to uh, contact them. So what happens when we sleep, our soul leaves our body and we, we go to the astral plane. So this dreamer would have met that person on the astral plane and we do this all the time. All of us do it all the time and we meet loved ones, we meet uh, people who are still alive and uh, some people have the skill to remember those journeys. And in fact, so many people have that skill. One of the ways to tell it is, if you have a dream where there's lots of dialogue, then it shows you that you, you know, that dialogue is from those encounters. Gotcha. Uh, if you have dreams about flying, then you, you have that ability too. So it, it seems strange for the dreamer to, to contact her or him and then find out that they had trouble and their, you know, that contact makes them feel better. But they already had the contact during the night and they just remembered it in a dream. I gotcha. Here's a one. My daughter is eight and she dreams of people standing at the end of a bed. We had that one while ago. I wasn't sure until she pointed to an old photo of my husband's granny. She's talking to her. Not sure how long this is going on. We haven't seen my parents or my husband's parents since November because of lockdown. She's asking about them all the time and rings them constantly to check if they're okay. Any advice? <laughs> I need to sleep. It sounds to me from this one, though, that the person she's pointing to is the husband's granny, who I assume is no longer with us. Yes, yeah. And the fact that it matches the photo is really good because then that's going to take the fear out of it. At least it should for the mom. Um, and so uh, this girl, the eight-year-old, has abilities. In fact, we all have lots of abilities. Everybody has at least one. Most of us have a few more. Um, but we tend to knock it out of our kids by saying things like, well, there's nobody there. I don't, you know, and, and innocuous, things that we think are innocuous like that. Um, but really, kids have these abilities. We drop them in uh, sometime in our childhood, and then we have to relearn them. And if you get drawn into working in the spiritual field again when you're older, uh, you probably will have forgotten that you even had these abilities. Um, and if you don't lose them. You just kind of suppress them for a while, and then you have to do some work to bring them back. But if you are encouraged to not lose that connection, then it just stays easy for you all through your life. Like there's no difficulty in uh, trying to learn how to do something because you've never uh, unlearned it in the first place. Right. So, and and this child, I, I'm getting the impression from the message, it's not entirely clear, but I'm getting the impression that the child is looking to a picture of someone who's no longer with us. Well, you're, I took it that you're saying she pointed to a picture and... and the point, that the, the, the picture is of, 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 the whole, of her, her yeah. dad's granny. 
Yeah, so she's a great grandmother. She can she can communicate with spirits, and the spirits are communicating with her, and so she still has the ability, hasn't turned it off. Right, uh, that's all it means. I got you. And it would be it would be great if we um, encouraged our kids that way, because then it's like, okay, well, what message does she have for her son? That would be a fantastic thing for uh, him to hear. Yeah. You know, to know that uh, the comfort that that gives. In fact, a lot of people uh, look for comfort from psychics and mediums when somebody close uh, passes on. And that's one of the things that can give the field a bad name, you know, because people think, well, they've just been taken advantage of. Yes. But there are, there are plenty of people who have this skill and have it in, in a really strong way okay. and do give a lot of comfort to people. Richard is having one of the oldest dreams in the book, that he was falling from a height. What's that about? Yeah, right. So um, this one, I said we are spirit leaves our body and we go to the astral plane. That's kind of a midway point between the spirit world and the physical world. Um, and when we're coming back to our bodies, um, like the earth plane is a very dense vibration. And so we're moving from a high vibration, a very high vibration to a much lower dense vibration. And that is symbolized by the falling. Um, and it's, uh, it, it is one of the oldest ones. But you can't really um, interpret it. And I used to often say, um, if, if somebody was asking me on the, in a public setting, what does this one mean? And I, um, I'm just talking about dreams and don't want to talk about the spirit world, I would say, oh, that's just a common thing. But that is what it actually is, uh, since we've already crossed that threshold on this show. Yeah. Um, it's, it's about moving back into your body. Uh-huh. Okay. Caller spent 10 years looking after her husband when he had cancer. She now constantly dreams about him, and it feels like she's still looking after him. Uh, also, she dreams about people having arguments, and she's trying to break the arguments up. There's a lot, uh, there's a lot going on in her sleep, isn't there? There is, and they're different things. So it's common enough to dream of a loved one who's passed on, especially somebody you've cared for and cared for and cared for. And then your your worry is, are they okay? Are they still in pain? Are they whatever it is? And, and so uh, what tends to happen is for about nine months after the person passes, you don't have a dream uh, about them. And then they start showing up again. I'm sorry, I should say that correctly. You tend to dream about them for a number of days and then it stops and it dries up and then they come back again after about nine months. So once she understands that he will be trying to contact her and let her know that he's okay, um, her dreams should change to something uh, to where it's much more comfortable and showing that he's okay. Generally what happens is he'll show up healthy but younger, like mid-30s kind of thing. We tend to, when... Somebody's really healed on the other side. They show up like in their physical prime uh, in our dreams. Um, Colors that show up to tell you everything's good would be a mix of red and white. Like we had the caller earlier who had red and always feels good about it. Red and white is is a color combination that uh, says you have permission to live your life, to to enjoy life and Mm. enjoy it um, without my physical presence. So it's really really good. The arguments are a different thing altogether and she's not saying she's arguing with her husband. Um, but that's, it's just about conflict, some conflict that's going on in her life. And it might be only in her head, um, yeah. uh, some idea that she's conflicted about, and dreams will give it a form. Could it be uh, about, you know, when you're, when you're caring for someone who's very sick, you know, it, there can be stress around. Could it be a manifestation of the stresses of the time? But that stress is over now. Uh, so it would be about the past, it can be about past stress, I suppose. Um, but the intention of the dream is never really to bring things up and make you stressed. Uh, it's more to
to say, look, now that you've moved on from that phase, it's time to heal it and let it go. Okay. Uh, I hate the phrase let it go, but, you know, if, if we can let go of the things that really bothered us in life, we can have a much more enjoyable life. Okay. And, and the, that's the intention. It's never just to, to put it back in your face. Tom is getting a bit concerned about his dreams. He doesn't dream about anybody who's alive. He dreams constantly about people who are dead, particularly an aunt and uncle whose who's bungalow he used to stay in. Right, so um, here's a big difference. In the dream, does he know they're dead? If you know they're dead, then it's about an ability to, to see spirits or talk to spirits. But if he doesn't, and this is obviously more common, then it's, and it's bringing them back to a, a place he used to live. Uh, is it a place he used to live in childhood? And if it is, then it's bringing him back to that time in his life um, to, to show him something that he, he still needs to work on. Most of our issues in adult life come from childhood. And uh, we're, we're usually very aware of that because, you know, m- mom might have been this way. Mom might not have been able to show love the way I needed it. Or dad might have not given me the support that I needed. And so we know generally where our issues are from. But very few of us do something to actually heal those issues. Um, and dreams are always trying to encourage us to bring us back to say, hey, you know, around seven is when you picked up this issue. This, it's not about something that went on today or, or yesterday. Um, and if you heal the issue from that age, then it's never going to come up again. You're never going to have that horrible feeling anymore. Okay. A caller has a, a young youngster, five-year-old daughter, who she wants to ask you about or uh, wants me to ask you about. So if you don't mind, I'll take another break here, Michael, and, and we'll do that one. Uh, talking to Michael Sheridan, dream analyst, we are inundated with stuff. People they want to, Michael to, to explain their dreams. He's very much into the spiritual world and that you can be in contact with the spiritual world and it can be communicating with you and you don't even realise it. Come back to it next. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Let's bring back some of those memories. Take the Throwback Thursday quiz. What can you remember? Plus, I'm going to race you through your afternoon with all the biggest tunes from your favourite artists. See you from midday on Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96 FM. Just before Michael, I go to the caller who's worried about her daughter. The young kid who was pointing to the photograph of the the lady, it is a picture of her great-grandmother who has passed away. And apparently the daughter tells them that they're chatting and she's chatting to her in heaven and that she's telling them all to keep safe and mind us all. So that's an interesting follow-up there. It is, it is. And especially for the other caller who said she, she dreams of people around her bed. Now the little girl has told her, uh, like backed up what I said that dream was about because she's saying she's talking to people in heaven. So there's nothing nefarious about it at all. It's super positive, super loving, uh, which is completely what it's intended to be. Very good, very good. Okay, my five-year-old daughter has very vivid dreams that she calls good dreams and bad dreams and they upset her or make her happy. She also gets very upset if someone isn't feeling the best. 
or if she's, say, watching a cartoon and someone's feeling upset, she seems very sensitive. Does this mean anything, the dreams and what happens while she's awake at the same time? Her emotional state, I guess. Yeah, well, um, kids' dreams are much uh, much worse than adults' dreams. Like, kids often get killed in their dreams. And as adults, that, that just rarely, rarely happens. Uh, so much so that we forget that our, our dreams as a child were horrific, you know, um, dogs coming in, killing us, uh, you know, and, and then dream after dream after dream, you're getting killed. Uh, so to have the horrific dreams is totally normal for a child. Um, but it sounds like she's empathic, so she picks up people's feelings. Um, that's not too common, um, but it's something that she will have to learn to deal with um, and, and discern her feelings from other people's feelings. And so um, there isn't really any anything to do that you can do for her now, except anybody I know who has this ability, they do have to practice it. So if they're in a restaurant, um, and usually I work with adults, not kids, but if they're in a restaurant and somebody's in a really bad mood or there's things going on, even though it's totally quiet in the restaurant, they will pick up that mood and they will feel that way. Mm. And so they have to learn how to tell the difference between what's happening outside emotionally, outside their space and within their space. And you can, with practice, uh, do it well. There are advantages to that uh, ability too. But for her, it's just, it's, it's understanding that because she has this, she's not going to be able to discern other people's feelings from her own. And it just seems like an avalanche of emotion to her. Okay. And um, it, it's difficult to process. Okay. Just a couple more. Um, I don't know if there's more to this. I can't remember everything, but I dream, says this caller, of a female high priest from an ancient civilization. By the looks of the message, it's so vivid that she can remember what this high priestess looks like. Uh, and this person, this this high priest, is is trying to get her attention and has a very a very urgent look on her face. And just as she's about to find out what the problem is, she wakes up. Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, so uh, I said before, people with a title are guides, and, and our guardian angels is a bit of a way probably to think about them. Um, and so this, these, these spirits that help us in our lives, help us achieve what our life purpose is about, uh, they're always trying to help us. Not trying, they do help us. There's never a time when they're not helping us. Um, and usually when people learn to communicate with spirits, they're the ones that they talk to because they're intimately aware of everything in their lives. And so here, she has, she's been told, first of all, that she's a spiritual teacher, because that's what a high priest is, and uh, that she has that ability, and she's trying to wake her up to the fact that she has that ability. So she's meant to help people. Typically, what I find when people have that skill, they, they think, they may know that they have answers for people, but they also think at the same time, who am I to give the answers? Or uh, I don't want to get karma by giving somebody the wrong information or even just the sense of what if I tell somebody and I'm wrong and those dreams are kind of like a slap on the wrist to say the, you get karma if you don't help people so you brought this ability with you you're specifically meant to help people mm. and you just need to start doing it so use the it's skills good. you have and here's your reminder absolutely. yeah absolutely it's a bit like the parable in the bible of you know do I bury my talents or do I use them? And most of us in the West bury them. We, we like, if I say to somebody, well, these days it's not so bad. If I say to somebody, you've got an ability to channel, uh, a lot of the times people say, well, how can I learn to develop the skill? Um, but 
go back even 30 years ago and, and people wouldn't have been so open to it. No. I moved home 15 years ago, says this. I'm one of the last ones I have for you now. And I have a recurring dream that I go to my old house and I'm very scared because I'm not meant to be there and that the new owners will come home and catch me. And then every time that I'm there, the inside of the house, as I remember it, has been changed. I don't miss the house. I actually was delighted to move. I don't even want to be back there. Why is this happening? All right. So the main thing in that dream, the main feeling is uh, that she shouldn't be there or isn't invited. And here I am in this in this place. Um, and that's indicative of not feeling wanted as a child. Um, because the dream is bringing her back to a child's home and has that strong feeling about it. And so I said before, most of our issues we pick up in childhood. Uh, we often, adults often think that kids don't pick anything up at all, especially if they're pre-verbal. But they're totally open emotionally to everything that's going on. And so this dreamer still has that issue. She's still carrying that issue and would be very aware of it. There would be certain tells in her life as well. Like So if she feels alone most of the time, uh, even when she's in a crowd, if she feels alone, um, you know, that, that tells it too. And so doing a healing therapy that fixes that, and there's plenty of ways to, to fix it, will bring, you know, heal that and really make her life enjoyable compared to what it is now. It's not that she won't have joy in life, but she will have that feeling of, um, do people want me around? I don't mean physically, but just, am yeah. I invited? Am I welcome? So um, people like that tend to... Uh, become a chameleon and do what they think other people want ah, instead of doing what they want what to they do. Want. So it kind of destroys their life. So in trying a way. to please others rather than ple- rather than looking yeah. after themselves. Yeah. This person they're telling me here was actually sounded quite frightened on the phone relaying this dream. I constantly wake up from a dream where I am burning in my bed, my blankets are burning and I'm on I'm getting hurt. And then there's another one where I'm doing something around the house and I get an electric shock. And both of them, I wake up terrified. Even talking about it makes this person nervous and she was very nervous on the phone. Dreaming about something happening to you, something terrible happening to you, when in fact, of course, nothing will but in your dreams, but something terrible happening to you. What's that about? It, so here's again, We normally I don't normally talk about these things at all, but we... we um, the whole idea of reincarnation uh, is, it seems to be a, a very much a new age movement, but up until the seventh century, uh, even the, the church allowed priests to talk about reincarnation and, and or resurrection. After the seventh century, it could, they were only allowed to use resurrection, talk about resurrection, because the, the religion changed, the holy day changed from Saturday to Sunday, lots of other changes. But reincarnation, it just simply is, and some people have memories of how they died in former lives. Um, and you don't necessarily dream of, oh, I'm going to be burned alive. And that means I, I burned alive in a former life. But a horrific death, the idea of a horrific death could show up. But then you could ask the dreamer, do you have a fear of dying in a horrible way? And it'd be very easy to know. And, it, and the dream's intention is to help her overcome that, not to, um, not to like, put anything in her face um, it doesn't say anything like that's ever going to happen um, the other thing that being on fire can you maybe uh, reassure or, her a little because as I say she was quite frightened on the phone even talking about it is there some reassurance you can give 
Yeah, she she can actually contact me and give me a full dream, and I'll I'll tell her what the whole thing is in detail. Um, uh, but but the uh, dreams don't. So here's the reassurance: dreams don't show us things that are going to happen that are horrific. They never do that. Um, some people, yeah, have a prophetic ability, but it's not generally about their own lives. It's about something else that's going to happen. Okay. Um, so the whole point of dreams is to help you overcome fears that you have. Like the survivors of Auschwitz had idyllic dreams during Auschwitz, but when they were liberated, shortly after liberation, they started having dreams of being back there. And so the dream is saying, you are in a safe space now in order to be able to deal with this fear, ah, deal with the issues, deal with what we That's went great through. reassurance. Okay, Michael, I might actually do that. Um, we might pass your details on. But if anyone does want to, I mean, you do this obviously as a business, uh, How would, if someone wants to contact you uh, for a more formal analysis or to make contact with you, where would they get you? So the best way to get me is go to ashlingschool.com and that's with the Irish spelling. That causes me untold trouble here in America. But A-I-S-L-I-N-G school.com. And uh, if you're interested in your own dreams, I do have a whole series uh, of emails with tips and help for how to figure them out. And I have a free dictionary on my website with thousands of symbols that I've extracted from real dreams, uh, mostly Irish people. So it'll be a lot of symbols that uh, people will be familiar with. Um, And the meaning of, of those is listed uh, in that dictionary, so you can get all that for free. Michael, thank you very much, as always, for your time. Good to have you back on the Opinion Line. We shall do so again. Thank you. That's Michael Sheridan in Seattle. Ashling School, A-I-S-L-A-N-G, of course, Ashling with the Irish for Dream, ashlingschool.com. For more, if you want to contact Michael yourself, you can do so. There's a breaking story on the AstraZeneca vaccine, which is a little bit disturbing, Um, there are reports of blood clots in a batch of of, of, after people were given a batch of the jab in Austria and in Denmark they've also halted it now for 14 days the European Medicines Agency has launched an investigation into the AstraZeneca jab after reports of blood clots in some vaccinated people at present there is no firm evidence to suggest the two are linked and incidents of clotting have not been reported in the UK. So it seems to be very much precautionary. Also, the Danish Health and Medicines Authority has now suspended the use of it for at least 14 days. But they didn't say how many reports of blood clots there had been. So no reason for panic, I would suggest. But in two countries, they've suspended the use of, of AstraZeneca vaccine after there were some evidence of blood clots, but no connection has yet been made. So let's not get panicky here. You know, we like to bring you something lovely every day or every couple of days. How about this? Hello, John. How are you doing? This is Daniel O'Donnell here. I'm sorry this message is a bit late to wish you a very happy 16th birthday. I hope that you had a great day and that everything is good with you. And hopefully... I'll meet you sometime in the future. Many happy returns and all the very best to you and everybody there. Hmm. <laughs> Hello there, Gret. Oh, hi, PJ. How are you? Ah, lovely. Isn't that so sweet? Tell me about John. Yeah, John has Down syndrome. He's 16. He's um, the happiest man in our house anyway. He's... Uh, a student at Our Lady of Good Counsel School in Ballincollig and full of the joys of life, PJ. 
So how did this greeting come about? Well, John has been a massive fan of Daniel O'Donnell for the last couple of years. And I know you as a reporter, uh, you and I soldiered together as reporters we at did. one stage in the past when I, I worked for TG Cahar in Cork. I know you'd be a fan of statistics, so let me give you one. John is in the top 1% of Daniel O'Donnell's listeners on Spotify in the world. So, so he's a big fan. And he actually, like, he has all sorts of... John is a very ambitious man. He has all sorts of plans. Um, you know, he, he wants to go to Daniel O'Donnell concerts, and he had tickets, actually, for the Daniel O'Donnell concert in the INEC last August, but, of course, that was postponed. So, anyway, um, before Christmas at his school, they sent a note home saying they were going to send... They were going to post two Christmas cards per pupil to whoever we wanted to post them to. So... You know, I think they meant grannies and things. But anyway, uh, for John was discussing it with us at home and his godfather, Tim, was here. And, and Tim said, why don't you send one to Daniel O'Donnell? So we Googled it and we came up with some bit of an address and we sent in the address and um, we said, look, we'll see what happens. So Christmas came and went and we were hoping maybe Daniel might send a card back, but nothing came before Christmas. But of course, the post was all jammed up. In early January, we got a calendar with Daniel's picture on it and signed on the back. Thank you for your card. Have a great new year. Oh, lovely. So then John is a man who who loves an occasion and his own birthday is on the 12th of February and like he talks about it from one end of the year to the next and he if he met you PJ now he'd ask you when is your birthday because birthdays are big for him. Okay. So it struck me that it might be nice if we did a quick Zoom call on John's birthday with Daniel like even three minutes would do it you know. Mm-hmm. So after that calendar came I put pen to paper and I sent off a note to Daniel saying, look, I've taken the liberty of setting up this Zoom at 9am on the morning of the 12th of February. If it suits you, would you pop into it and just say hello to John for his birthday? So we heard no more and the day came and I went into the Zoom. I hadn't said anything to John, but nobody arrived in. So I thought, you know what? Look, forget about it. It obviously didn't suit. It doesn't matter. It didn't Mm. matter because John didn't know. Yes. But then last Friday... I got a phone call out of the blue from a Donegal number and it was Tricia, Daniel's secretary. Uh-huh. And she said Daniel had been away and there was an amount of mail after piling up and they had just opened my letter. And would John be happy with a video greeting instead because he had missed the Zoom? I said, is the Pope a Catholic? <laughs> is Santi fat? And... So, so next thing, lo and behold, on Saturday morning, I got this WeTransfer file emailed to me and you heard it there. Fantastic. That's what it was. That's fantastic. And really, you know, I mean... You, you'll have yeah. met Daniel anyway over the years and I, I have... A lot of people don't realise it. He's actually such a sweet guy. Yeah, he's so He's nice. a gent. Yeah. He's an gent. absolute gent. Yeah. A lot of people have said to me though, PJ, I just put that up on my Facebook because I thought, you know what, it brightened our day so much. I'm sure it'll brighten other people's day too, and it's had a huge reaction. But what I and and I think you'll understand this better than a lot of people, PJ. When you have someone with special needs in your life, there is an incredible grounding about it. And having John in our lives, it really brings us into the moment every day. And this is like this is something unique, really, that you can't get your hands on easily. You couldn't, but you couldn't, you couldn't buy it. You absolutely could not buy that. But Gret, I'm going to have to leave you. You understand time, having been in the business. Program edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry, and we'll see you tomorrow, just after nine.